podcast on call-in. This is episode 36. Mark Zuckerberg admits censorship to Joe Rogan. Mark Zuckerberg recently admitted on Joe Rogan's podcast that Facebook has censored the Hunter Biden laptop story. What are your thoughts? Now, something I did not get a chance to actually mention on my show tonight, actually, I didn't think I could talk about it, but it's also in reference to, kind of in reference to the story. You guys do know that uh, Ashley Biden, Joe Biden's daughter, it was released the other day that I guess someone took or somehow they got access to her diary and there were certain pages that were released online um, where she talked about like Joe Biden and the family and her, the possibility of her actually being sexualized or something like that at an early age. Now I couldn't read all of it because honestly, like the writing was kind of small. Um, but yeah, it's, there's, there's, I don't know. There's a lot going on here. I think what was really interesting to me though, in reference to this discussion was that I feel like Mark Zuckerberg just basically admitted the quiet part out loud. And I think that he was just basically just telling you that it is basically like these alphabet groups that are controlling the narrative for at least for his platform, but I believe all the platforms, right? I believe the same thing with YouTube. Um, I know I can tell you over at RBN, there have been a couple of streams that we've done that they've been taken down. Um, I know Nick has had a couple of streams about Ukraine that were removed. Uh, there was another stream I think we did one time where they were talking about the history of the CIA, and I think that was taken down as well. It's just this stuff has been going on for a while, and that's why I've always kind of believed that all of them were connected. I didn't believe that it was just the people who own YouTube and own Facebook were making these decisions. I believe that it was actually the U.S. government, and I believe that because they have the same narrative. If you you pay close attention, they say the exact same thing that the State Department says for the U.S. government. They say the exact same thing that or allow the exact same narrative and message that mainstream media preaches about. So if you listen to CNN, if you listen to uh, MSNBC and Fox News, notice that although they may disagree when it comes to these left-right issues, for the most part, a lot of times the narrative is the same. And that's something they all had in common. That's why I just put two and two together. And I was like, I think they're all being controlled by the government. So I do see we have a caller. Ashura, you are here. So I want to go ahead and get your perception on this. So you are on the mic. You just have to unmute. Hello, Savvy. Hello. Okay. Uh, before we start, I got one. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. Probably uh, Jimmy will put the video out. Um, I didn't know he was on. So I, got, I caught this at the last minute before I went to your channel. And uh, Obama was in Africa. And he was lecturing black people about... Uh, Global warming. He told them basically, you don't need to buy a house, you don't need to buy a car, you don't need to buy a basically heating system, because not like a ventilation system. Because if you do that, the planet's going to explode. 
Um, I want him to say that to Americans' faces that you can't you can't own shit now. <laughs> that you should probably be homeless. Wait, when did he say this? Uh, today, Jimmy had a, a, a he was running a video, and Obama was he was in Africa, and he was saying that to a bunch of African kids. And uh, I was wondering, like, I was wondering, like, well, I would love him for to say that in America right now, that you can't, you can't own a house, a car, or even a, a ventilation system to to cool your house or something. I, I would love for him to say that that you can't own nice things, that you should just be homeless. Like, it's fucking stupid the shit he can say overseas, and nobody's not gonna report on it. Oh my gosh, I didn't hear about that. That uh, why was he there in the first place? Uh, I don't know. I caught it at the last minute because uh, YouTube didn't tell me if Jimmy was on. Yeah, it never tells me Jimmy's on. Yeah, because... Uh, yeah, I find out on Twitter. Yeah, for some reason, my notifications are on all. It's not personalized. So when they put it on personalized, that's like the default uh, uh, setting for them for not to basically tell you if somebody you like is on. Uh, as for the Mark Zuckerberg thing, um... I I I I I was laughing at you complaining about Joe Rogan. <laughs> it's like I said about Joe Rogan. Uh, he's like a child. He's kind of like a child. You, he needs to have like a an adult in the room to tell him which which is what is right, what is wrong. Like he's basically defending Mark Mark Zuckerberg in a sense, saying, "Yeah, I understand you, man. Uh, it's a hard." I'm like, "No, it's not a fucking hard choice. You know what the right choice is. You don't fucking do it." That's the right choice. You don't basically listen to what the FBI tells you to do or the CIA. You just don't basically uh, cut down, basically put the news at the last number. And I, I remember you were talking about how when they they, they use the like the like function just to get the to get your news, uh, basically your content circulated. I'm wondering if if that content was like maybe 99, position 99, and basically it got like. I'd say 20,000 views, they bumped up to number 70, it would probably gone drop back down again. That's how you probably are not circulating enough because they put you on a number. If you were to somehow break past that number, you'll go right back down. Um, that's a good point, what you just mentioned, Ashura. And now you actually got me, you just reminded me of something that CJ told us actually pretty recently. Did you know that, and guys, I want you to pay attention to this because this isn't something that I was paying attention to until CJ brought it up. Did you guys know that YouTube was removing likes from our videos? If you go over, yeah, for those of you, oh, go ahead. Um, for those of you that watch RBN actually when it's live. CJ, so CJ streams, he's really good at doing this. I'm not, I, I, I suck at it, but CJ will stop at least like a couple minutes midway in the stream and CJ will say, okay, guys, let's do a like check real quick. And he'll say, we have this number of people watching. Let's see if we can get the likes up to at least such and such, right? So apparently like what CJ has been doing is that after the stream has ended, he'll actually record the number of likes on the stream. And what he found out recently was that um, he would go back to that same video like the next day 
and the number of likes would have decreased. So what CJ found that YouTube is removing likes from RBN's videos. And he's really good about that, like, you know, paying attention to that kind of thing and tracking it. And that really does affect the algorithm. And that's why, you know, you'll see Eric in the chat tell you guys, hey, guys, like the stream. It's not you know, necessarily because we're trying to get kudos or anything. It's mainly because that has a big effect on the, the algorithm. And so it seems like what YouTube is doing is that I guess any kind of content that they don't consider to be favorable in their uh, perception they're going in and they're removing likes from people's videos. In fact, this happened last year. I don't know if everybody remembers this, but the very first time I interviewed Jimmy Dore, Jimmy actually brought this up in reference to the video that Kyle made when he was saying why he didn't defend TYT or Aaron Mate. Jimmy had went back on that video and he said, did you notice that they removed dislikes from that video? So... Yeah. That's like really important, you guys, because like I, when I tell you that certain people have helped from the algorithm, even though we're all suppressed with independent media, when you look at a network like TYT, they are on the corporate algorithm. We are not. Same thing with Breaking Point, same thing with uh, Rising. They're all on that corporate algorithm. So the rest of us, we have to work twice as hard just to get like a decent number of views. And I say this also because if you were to look at, uh, let's say like a Breaking Points video and they have like 600, 700 likes, that video will get like 15,000, 20,000 sometimes views. But when we have like 600, 700 likes, our videos are getting like 6,000 views. So you see, this is how they, they suppress the content. And this is what I've been trying to like bring people's attention to because in that I've, once CJ pointed that out to me, I was like, no wonder. I'll bring up another example and then I'll pass the mic back to you. It wasn't last Sunday, but the Sunday before, JB was live on RBN. I went onto YouTube and I clicked RBN and lo and behold, even though he was live, he had just went live, I think about 15 minutes before. YouTube told me, that that video had already been streamed an hour ago and it said zero views. In fact, I took a screenshot of it and I posted it on Twitter and I said, this is how they're suppressing the content. In order to see the actual views that were there, you had to actually click on the video and then it showed me how many people were actually watching. But when I searched for it, it said zero views and it said streamed an hour ago as if he had already did the stream and nobody was watching. Well, they do that to Jimmy when he's when he's uh, streaming. There's this weird BS inconsistency that happens when you're watching Jimmy Dore's uh, thumbnail when it says live. It, it can give you a number. It could say I don't know, like three thousand, and when you click on it, it has more than three thousand because Jimmy streams when he gets like five thousand. So basically, maybe they know that's how he streams. But uh, for some reason, YouTube likes to play around with the, with the amount of people watching. I think they must, they just take people out. But but I found it weird that basically uh, for people like the Young Turks who are on the corporate algorithm, they're not moving a lot for some reason. Uh, what do you mean when you say they're not moving a lot? 
Well, basically, you know how they're having a hard time. That you you would think that the Young Turks, if they're on the uh, uh, corporate algorithm, it'd be more fair to them. I don't know why they're not moving as much, because it's it's been a slow crawl for them to just get get like a a, a thousand subs or a hundred k or something. So, oh, so you mean like their count their uh count isn't moving up? Yeah, yeah, it's not moving. It's not moving. It's not moving up at all. It's like it's a slow, it's a slow crawl. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's like they're allowed to pass their content, but they're not about. They're not letting them get more more uh, subscribers. I don't know. I find that weird. So one thing I do know, like in reference to them per se, um, I. So hold on, let me get my. I gotta shut this door. Sorry, everybody's out tonight. One thing I do know in reference to them that was kind of weird is that I have TubeBuddy. Not everyone has it, but it's basically an extension that you can add to YouTube. And it helps you with like keywords and topics that are trending and stuff like that. But another thing that it gives you with that tool is called TubeBuddy uh, Analytics. And if you're signed into TubeBuddy, you can click on any other channel and it'll actually show you analytics for that channel for the past 30 days so I did this one time on my show and what I noticed with TYT was that it said over the past 30 days they had gained zero subscribers but their videos are still getting like you know for 50,000 views 25,000 views and so to me something didn't add up because I'm like how are they getting all those views and they're not gaining any subscribers. You see so what I mean? That, so do you think that uh, the fact that they're on the algorithm, it's just like a token gesture, but the 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 uh, the uh, the consequences, you're not going to get enough. You're not going to get as much subs as a CNN or an MSNBC. But we'll put you on the algorithm. But you're going right. to slow, slow burn in in in, in, in sub count. Right. Like I'm always, they're always recommended to me, but I'm not subscribed <laughs> to them. And I, I don't, I don't watch them. Like, so it's, but the channels that I am subscribed to that I watched, I'm not recommended. This is yeah, something yeah, I noticed, yeah. you guys. Like, yeah, I'm never recommended Frank Analysis. I'm not recommended Jimmy Dore, which is weird. Uh, uh, I've, I've been recommended Jimmy, but for some reason, I'm starting to not get Jimmy, Jimmy notifications. Like when he puts out a clip, I'm not getting any notifications. And I'm looking at it like I'm. On, it, it says all. I'm not personalized, so why am I not getting Jimmy, Jimmy content? Exactly. I haven't. Uh, I haven't received notification for Jimmy's videos for the past couple months, actually. Really? Yeah, that's been happening for me for a while. I, I sometimes I wonder if they started doing that when he started talking about uh, COVID. Because I, I used to get notifications for that show. And yeah, okay. it's not it's not just that one. It's like, I don't get notifications for Convo Couch. I don't get notifications for uh, Hardlands Media. I don't, honestly, I don't get notifications for none of, none of you, these guys. Like, except for what's weird though, I, I will always get recommended or notifications for Vanguard. <laughs> and I, yeah, no, it's weird. I'll get that one. But I, I don't get notifications for the other ones, and it's it didn't used to be that way. I don't know what's going on. Um, you guys haven't gotten like this weird little note 
that every time Jimmy does a subject that says COVID related, even though basically the government has completely basically opened its bag on COVID and basically admitted all, all the stuff that other people have said basically now comes to be true. They now put this like a link to Google, to whatever site on Jimmy's show. Like if he's, if he's talking about COVID, there's always like this Wikipedia page right underneath the stream for some reason. I've or even a click. Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I'm like, I thought basically the government said it was it was okay now. So we're still doing it. Uh, to finish about Joe Rogan, uh, Joe Rogan, he needs more leftist people, man. I like, uh, it looked like he was basically talking to his class. Like, he's a rich guy. Uh, the other guy, Zuckerberg's a rich guy. And no tapping on the shoulder shit. Oh, I know, you got it hard. I'm like, no, it's not that hard, man. He, he is doing what the fucking establishment wants. He could have basically said, no, he ain't doing shit. He would have taken the fucking bullet and made Facebook uh, an actual public square instead of uh, putting all the bullshit like uh, a bunch of people that he, <laughs> Jimmy talked about this. He had a bunch of fact checkers. They're not even fact checkers themselves. They're people with opinions and they, they themselves have to answer to somebody. Somebody has to pay the fact checkers. So that's all I'm saying. Fabi. So I'm going to let the next caller come in. Thank you so much, Ashura. Um, I'm going to bring in Curl here. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting to me that Mark Zuckerberg said that as though, okay, like we're supposed to believe you that, yeah, the FBI has reached out to you, but we're supposed to sit back here and believe that this independent third party organization that you're referring to is not being contacted by the FBI and they're not overseeing them either. I don't buy it. Uh Curl, I'm bringing you in, and you are on the mic. Hey, Sabrina, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Hello? Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing good. What's your take on, on all of this? <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm a little more lenient with Rogan. I think he does a really good job of, of getting people to spill their guts. I don't, I, I've not heard as clear an admission to me anyway, of guilt. I mean, basically, as far as I can tell from what Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald have been saying, if the government is telling them what to censor, that's a clear violation of the First Amendment. We just need to get it in court now, you know? That's kind of my take on on the, the Rogan-Zuckerberg uh, thing. I'm not a, a social media person, so I don't have as much uh, skin in the game as most people. Yeah, I'm um I'm actually not on Facebook that much. Like I used to be on Facebook a lot more, but I mainly just like will share like my streams on Facebook. That's pretty much it. But um I don't know, man. This is all kind of weird to me because I just kind of see it as though well, I do think you're right about Joe Rogan. I think he has a way of getting people to just basically say the quiet part out loud. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think it's um I think Taibbi referred to it as the old kind of, uh, oh, what was his name? The guy that got me too, the PBS interviewer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I'm um, talking about? They got me too for Brent but Brett Butler. Um, anyway, his style of interview was to really kind of lay it on thick with people and let them, you know, hang themselves with their own words. And I think it worked really well in that interview specifically. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's saying that right now. The FBI came in? What? Anyway. I know. 
Like, I really look back on it and I wonder, like, after that interview, does Mark Zuckerberg think he did a good job on that interview? Like, <laughs> like yeah, I, think I feel people like people don't even there's so many people that are just like not First Amendment people that don't realize, like, what is being actually said. Like, I mean, it's, it, it's implication. Yes, but it's enough implication for to me for like some legal action. I, I don't see why. um they wouldn't, I mean, uh, uh, the Alex, Bur- uh, what's his name? The guy that was on Rogan today, of all things, uh, the COVID guy, Alex Berenson. Bar- is that his name? Oh, New I didn't, I didn't see reporter. it today. I think yeah, I, know I, you're just, talking about uh, I just saw some clips on YouTube, but um, he was the guy that got reinstated on Twitter after a bunch of his kind of COVID craziness stuff was kind of, you know, vindicated a little bit. And um, yeah, so I think part of his lawsuit against Twitter went through and the other part didn't, but in the discovery, there was apparently some things that, that could be used to kind of support the case that the government's coming in and telling these private companies what to censor and what not to, which again, would bring us back to the first amendment. So I'm kind of like, all right, what's next people? (laughs) What, what do we do now? And that's basically all I wanted to say. Thank you so much for that, Curl. Um, I'm going to bring in Amanda here, uh, right, but it, it, yeah, it makes me wonder too. I'm sitting here and I'm actually thinking like, what if the FBI saw that interview? It's just like, dude, do you realize what you just said on a podcast that reaches millions of people? Maybe um, they're just testing it. They're just seeing how it goes over with the public. Did, did we catch it? Did we not catch it? Maybe that it's that kind of thing. Cause I think a lot of people just don't even know. Mm. Anyway, well you have a good evening. Sorry to leave you on such a dark note. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no worries. All righty. Amanda, I am making you the next caller. How are you doing, Sabrina? It's nice to hear your voice this evening. Hey, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. Hey, do you mind if I derail the conversation to something maybe a little less rogany? Do your thing. So today is Women's Equality Day. It's the 102nd year that women have had the right to vote today, officially. And we still don't have the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, as part of the Constitution, in spite of the fact that 38 states have have ratified it, and it should be part of the Constitution. And... I really would love to see people be asking candidates as we approach these elections, do you support the ERA? Because it is something that they've even shifted over the past couple of years from being um, primarily just having the Equal Rights Amendment to something that is uh, more broad-based and Um, Let me just get to the, I was just looking at the emission, because it's interesting that they they were founded in 2014, the ERA coalition, and the effort, it says that the effort to amend the Constitution to include sex equality began nearly a century ago. Yeah, that's right. Since 1923, this has been introduced single year in Congress, and it still has not passed. Shouldn't should be added by now. It passed in 1972, 
It's been 50 years. There's now 38 states that have ratified. It needs to be put into the Constitution because it's met all of the requirements. But our renewed efforts are centered on Black, Indigenous, and women of color, gender nonconforming and transgender women and girls, and non-binary people, those who are most impacted by systemic inequalities. So I just, I urge everybody to please ask your elected official if they support the ERA, because there's no excuse. Joe Biden could just tell the archivist, the National Archivist, to, to publish it, and it would be the 28th Amendment. That's it. That's my soapbox. Wow, Amanda. I, yeah, I didn't realize that. Thank you so much for, for letting us know. Um, yeah, I mean, ERA it's crazy. ERACoalition.org. ERA Coalition is where you can get some good information. What's crazy is 2022, right? And this is still an issue? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, Virginia just passed it in 2020. And now it's been two years and it's made, there's stupid people making stupid excuses for why it shouldn't be added, even though there's no reason that it shouldn't be added. They just aren't putting a focus on it. It's an easy win, and I would love to see it happen. And if I, if you don't mind me giving you another little bit of news, I was down at a strike today that's happening. The therapists at Kaiser, mental health therapists, are striking. 2,000 of them are striking for better working conditions. And by better working conditions, they mean that Kaiser is not following the law that California passed that you, if your therapist, you see a therapist within 10 days of being referred to do an initial assessment. Two weeks after that is when, by the, by the time two weeks has passed, you, you better have had your first appointment according to a new law that went into place in July 1st. Well, Kaiser, if you went, if I went in today, the first appointment I could get to see a therapist would be in November. And Kaiser refuses to follow the law. And it was just announced today, this strike's been on for two weeks now, it's just announced today that the state of California is finally launching an investigation into Kaiser not following this law that went into place July 1st, which I found out because I went down to the picket line today, I found out that the July 1st date for the new law to go into place was actually it was delayed by six months because Kaiser said, oh, no, we can't possibly do it by January 1st. Give us another six months and we'll get it done. But they haven't done anything in the last six months. So if you're interested in that effort, they are protesting for the next two weeks at Kaiser. And I'm more than happy if somebody, if people follow me, I'm more than happy. Um, there, I was down at the protest and did a call in during the protest. And if you message me, I'm more than happy to give you the information, but it's the um, National Union of Healthcare Workers is the union. So that's the news from here in Oakland, California. I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to, to give that information here because I, I know that your listeners appreciate when good, good news happens too. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that, Amanda. That is, that is good to hear. Um, yeah, guys, definitely check that out if you can. Um, you know how I'm always in support of these these strikes and things like that. Thank you so much, Amanda. You've got it. You have a good weekend, Sabrina. 
Thanks, you too. All right. I'm going to bring in Karthik. Um, this is freaking crazy. I Did you guys know, I got to tell you, the copaganda is strong. I just realized there's a category on Netflix now called cop shows. Like literally cop TV shows. Anywho, all right, Karthik, let's bring you in. What is your opinion about Mark Zuckerberg basically admitting that the Alphabet Group has told him what to do? Alphabet, as in like uh, uh, Google? Uh, I call them the Alphabet Organizations. Um, so You're like talking about FBI like FBI, and, CIA? Yeah. Oh, okay, because cause the parent company of Google is that, uh, called Alphabet, but that's something else. That's, that's true. Corporate <laughs> jargon. Um, but, sorry, I, I'll say something about that quick, but I had a question. Um, I don't know if you or Amanda could tell me, but, like, uh, what would the uh, uh, ERA do? Because, like, I don't know much about, like, like, like the uh, uh, written, like, what's actually written as part of the Equal Rights Amendment. Could somebody tell me? That's a good question. I recommend um, asking Amanda in the chat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because she seems to know more, a lot more about this. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you're talking about like uh, the the clip of uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg um, going on to Joe Rogan and saying like, "Oh, well, you know, uh, the FBI for seven days asked if we could restrict any potential uh, uh, misinformation of, uh, of of Russian misinformation you're talking about." Yes. And uh, Joe Rogan specifically used the example of the Hunter Biden laptop story. Oh, OK. Um, well, yeah, I just saw it like two hours ago. So it's pretty fresh in my mind. Um, and uh, it's I yeah. And like, I, I don't know how like this isn't like like traditional fascism, because obviously there's many definitions of fascism. Like, you know, like I, I try to like hate on certain minorities or um or censoring speech which definitely is like a for sure censoring of speech but like this is like the like complete merger of government and uh, a, a corporation so it's just like like i i know a lot of people like focus uh, focus on the outward fascism of donald trump and you know ted cruz or whatever which obviously i i do agree it's horrible um but there's lots of like like aspects of kind of like quieter fascism which this definitely uh, uh demonstrates and i think this also shows why people are starting to like, hate all these social media companies, um, Twitter or Facebook or even YouTube. But sometimes it feels like, like the only social media company that people don't hate, at least it is TikTok right now. I generally hear lots of people saying nice things about TikTok. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, like the mask is off on these people. I know like 10 years ago, Mark Zuckerberg had that movie made about him. And um, yeah, it's just like people like really hate this guy and social media companies in general. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really interesting to me that he willingly admitted that on that show. And I, you know, first watched that clip, I kind of cringed a bit. And I was like, does he realize what he just said to millions of Americans? Like, which I think a lot of us believe to be true anyway. But let's well, be real, well, yeah. a lot of people are asleep. They're not paying attention to things like that. It, it, it's not like, there's anything, like, like, like uh, nothing bad is going to happen to him. You know, like who's above Mark Zuckerberg? Very few people. And, uh, well, yeah, he probably doesn't care because, like, he knows there's not going to be any consequences about it. Um, and, like, you know, I'm sure he and his fellow Facebook executives believe that, you know, they're really doing the right thing. You know, they probably believe that they're good people fighting for democracy and fighting the evil 
dis or disinformation or misinformation. And it just seems like now, like like those two labels, misinformation and disinformation, are just like things that like y- you don't like, or or, or something yep. that that your opponent does. That, that's really all what they mean right now. Just like yeah. Basically, like, you know, the narrative that mainstream media has and anything outside of that narrative, they're going to try to to censor. Um, I showed you guys uh, earlier tonight that second thought video where he was explaining how YouTube works and why certain things are promoted and why certain things are are not. And for a long time, like we've been trying to tell people that independent media is suppressed and people are like, oh no, you're just not working hard enough. You need, you guys need to try harder. And Mark Zuckerberg basically admitted to himself tonight on that interview that, oh yeah, you know, we, when we get that things are reported and things like that, we suppress it. He, he basically, everybody, they suppress it. So they make it so where that it doesn't appear in the newsfeed. And YouTube's been doing that as well. So I think it's a big problem. And it was just interesting to hear somebody else outside of those of us in independent media finally admit, yes, we are suppressing certain content and certain type of information. But it's really, I would say, not fair because it's really not up to us to decide whether or not somebody wants to believe something that's up to them, but to, to censor people's content and to suppress people, you know, I, to me, it's just like, it's state agency. They're just trying to make it so that only a certain message goes out and that's all they want people to hear. Yeah. I agree with you on like this, the successful, um, being like these companies being successful at censoring, like more outside voices. Um, and it's not just Facebook that has admitted this. I, I know YouTube CEO, Susan Waiyaki, Waiyaki, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Um, I think it was an interview maybe two or three years ago with CNN or somebody. They're like, she said, Oh, we have successfully, we've been successful in, um, making it hard for people to find borderline content. I think she said it was some weird term, but it was really just like outside voices and independent voices. And she said, we have successfully uh, ha- elevated authoritative sources, which is like, you know, CNN, MSNBC, Fox. And then that's why like all those channels now, like every video gets like hot, like half of a million views or whatever on every video. It doesn't, it doesn't matter like what the, um, what it's about. Whereas I remember, and I know like these uh, 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 algorithms and these uh, adpocalypse started in 2017. I remember before that, um, before 2017, like uh, like during Obama's administration, like CNN, NBC, they would be lucky to get like 30, 40,000 visa on a video. No, that's 100% true. I've, I've noticed that too, but it's like, I've actually done this this test and I recommend you guys doing it too. If you take someone's video title, let's practice it with independent media because it tends to work the best with us. You can take someone's video title. And I think I did this with, I think it was Indie News Network. Yeah, because I noticed they were another one. They were not showing up. Like one time I literally like typed in the entire like channel name and they did not appear. And I said, okay, did I misspell a word? And I didn't. So what I did is I went to their channel and I actually just copied and paste a title that they had. I put that title right into the search engine for YouTube and everything else came up except for them. And that's how I knew. I said they are heavily suppressing people. 
Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I've definitely tried the same experiment actually before a few because I would type in like some video that I knew was like from like some uh, uh, outside of lefty source, like uh, indie news media, like you mentioned. But it would just come up with, um, you know, like MSNBC or whatever. Like I would type like some video that I knew Status Quo had made, um, and it would just give me like something from uh, NBC. Yeah, another thing that's happened too is um, people being shadow banned. Now I did notice, and Tara Reid knows this, but I remember explaining one time even to her. She said people can't are telling me they can't find me on YouTube, and I said, hmm, let me see. And I realized she's shadow banned on YouTube because I put in her name and what comes up is basically all these interviews that they've had with Tara Reid or when she came forward uh, about uh, Joe Biden. And that'll come up, but her channel doesn't come up. So I, I have to go to like her Twitter page and I have to click on the links that she she posts on Twitter to get to her site. And that's why I know, oh, they're heavily suppressing Tara Reid. And remember, they took her off her spot too. She she lost her job at RT along with many others. And they also removed her from off of Spotify along with Lee Camp. And so- oh, I, I didn't even, uh, I, I wasn't even uh, aware of that. But um, mm-hmm. but the media has been very successful in censoring people like Tara Reid. Like, I know there was that uh, old video from CNN in the 90s during the campaign that was brought to attention. And so, like, I think, like, Tara Reid's mom called CNN or something. Um, and then, but then CNN, like, kind of uh, 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 erased the video after that. And um, I, I, I love how it's called YouTube, but it's really become corporate tube, you know? It's supposed to be, like, about people like us, like, like regular random people. But it's just there to serve, you know, CIA and, uh, you know, the large multinational corporations now. Yeah, it's it's really not about us anymore. It's not. But you know what? They know that they can do it. They know they can get away with it. You know why? Because there's no other competitor out there Mm -hmm. that getting as much views or as many subscribers. That's the problem. Like Rumble, I know more people are going over to Rumble. Um, Rockfin, I think, would get more viewers if they fixed their app. Um, there are some issues with their app. It can be kind of buggy sometimes, but also Rockfin is kind of small. Like they make it, I think they make it difficult for people to join Rockfin because of the fact that in order to be a creator on Rockfin, you have to fill out an application and you have to get approved. Most I, people don't get approved. What well, well, so, What are the requirements to be on Rockfin? You know what? I honestly don't even know. That's a good question. I mean, like I filled out the application and I was approved, but well, I've great. talked yeah, to you definitely deserve to be there. Yeah. So I, but I've talked to several people who have applied, fill out the application, independent media people, and they were not approved. So I actually don't know how they go about deciding who they're going to let come on, but I, I know they don't want to get too big because it's more like a worker co-op. I totally understand that at the same time though, some people kind of feel like they go on there and they see the same channels over and over because mm-hmm. you guys aren't letting other people come on. Okay, I had no idea that they have like an yeah. approval or denial process. Um, last thing I'll say before I let Teresa talk is that I, I know that some people uh, don't like Rumble because it's like right wing or they have like right wing investors. I, I, I don't think that people realize that, that like, like, that like all, all these social media companies have uh, uh, devious people in, in them. 
It's not like Rumble is. Like, I don't see how Rumble is, like, extra worse than Google or Twitter or whatever. Like, I, I know Twitter has, like, like a lot of, like, some of the uh, S- Saudi royals. Thing. They all have right-wing investors. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> I know TYT was saying, like, oh, if you're on Rumble, you're uh, uh, automatically right-wing because uh, 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 Peter Thiel's invested in them. And I'm like, hey, dummy. Peter Thiel's also <laughs> invested in Facebook. He's, like, one of the first investors or something. And, and you guys have made uh, millions of dollars off of Facebook. And, like, and I know they used yep. to brag about, oh, we got millions of clicks this month on Facebook or something. Yep. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's all I have to say for now. Thanks so much, um, Karthik. Plus, also, they took $20 million from Jeffrey Katzenberg, the same guy who wants to criminalize homelessness in Los Angeles. So they really have no room to talk. Sorry. All right, Teresa, you're on the mic. You just have to unmute. Oh, okay, you got me? Hey. Hi, Savvy Sabs. Um, and thank you. Um, is it Mar- Martik? Any- anyway, um, I just wanted to say when I was listening to the interview with um, Joe Rogan with Zuckerberg um, that you played, I really felt like I was listening to a perpetual hostage. I think every time I see him, I think he's in fear of saying the wrong thing. I think it's just a lot of pressure. And uh, I think he used to come off like he was the smartest guy in the room. And I think he got tripped up a few times. And now he's really cautious because there's so many people listening to him. uh, And he's got to cover up so much. And people are waiting for him to just screw up. And he does. Like you say, he can't, don't don't do anything wrong. When you said that, I thought that was so funny. um, That he should not do anything wrong because he won't be able to hide it. Um, I believe that Joe Rogan was probably listening to him and he I don't think that they're on the same level and as far as what money goes maybe fame but not money I think they're like eons apart um but I think that Joe Rogan showed some compassion I don't think he was like weak or anything I just showed I just think he saw him as a human being and showed some compassion for him I think they probably have something on Zuckerberg and I think that Joe Rogan has talked to a lot of people by now and a lot of them probably have things hanging over their head, people threatening them, things that that are done to them to keep them in line. Like remember when AOC was doing a sitting a sit in in Pelosi's office, and then she was, as Hillary Clinton would say, she was brought to heel. And Bernie Sanders was kind of out there, and then he got kind of quiet. They're like things that happen that um, they just are able to shut people up. Um, and make them fear for their lives or their families or their secrets. Um, and I think that's maybe what was was happening. I think that he, like you say, when he said, I didn't bargain for, you know, to be like the police of, of all of these things. Um, I think that's that's true. And I think that maybe he, it's maybe not so easy, not that I'm going to lose any sleep or cry, not as easy as it, it may appear to be him. I don't know. But that was mm. what I was was thinking. Um, I mean, That's a I'm not. Point. I'm not really always a friend of Joe Rogan. I have an affinity for him, but every once in a while, he'll say something so horrible that I'll just stop listening to him for a while, and then I'll come back. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think Mark Zuckerberg doesn't have a poker face. Yeah, and so yeah. he's not good at hiding, like. Like, honestly, I, I honestly thought to myself, like, the first time I watched that, I was like, okay, um, yeah, don't 
you know, don't don't ever like cheat on your wife uh, because <laughs> yeah. you you have no poker face. You, <laughs> yeah. you got to tell them yeah. yourself. Yeah. And it did for probably the first time I did. I was feeling some kind of compassion for him. I felt a little sad, but, um, but yeah, I, there, we have to find a way. I mean, there's so many of us, but we don't, I, I just wish we had a way to harness our power as, um, as a, a community or people. I don't, I very rarely go on Facebook book. I'm not a, a Facebook person, but um, it, I know a lot of people that do, and I think that they could benefit from, from that. If, if we could just, if they could harness their power in order to have more control over the platform. But, you know, a lot of those people don't even realize that they need that, need to be freed, um, which is kind of yeah. sad. It's kind of sad. Um, but anyway, that was what I wanted to, to say. I mean, and as far as Joe Rogan goes, it's sometimes I'm watching him since he made that move to Austin. And I said, I'm thinking, is this the same person that interviewed Cornell West? And he's got some different kind of people on there now that are talking a whole different game. And it's, he's, he really does sort of flow in the wind, or maybe he's just growing as maybe it's just not once, maybe it's one step forward, two steps back, et cetera. But maybe we're just watching him grow in public in real time. But yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. I think, um, you know, he's one of the people. I don't know him personally, but I do know mm-hmm. other people personally who made that move from California to Texas. Yeah, and they've kind of changed their way of thinking too. And I think it's like they're coming from a state that is very expensive. Uh, gas is expensive, even before inflation. They're coming from a state where a lot of people can't even afford to buy a home because it's mm-hmm. just become yeah, it's it's too much. And then they go to Texas. And my friend Delilah tells me that Texas actually is not a red state. She said it's a purple state. So she's running as a, a a green for governor of Texas. So she was telling me that, you know, people have some of the same concerns, right? So mm-hmm. I'm imagining to myself, if he moved from California to Texas, he's probably being introduced to things that maybe he did not experience before. And maybe, yeah, maybe some yeah. of his friends may be conservative, mm-hmm. but- Maybe they have shown him some things where he's kind of sitting back and he takes a look at it and he realizes, you know what? You're right. California is fucked up. <laughs> Economically, it, it is pretty fucked. I mean, if you don't mm-hmm. make good money and what's good money in California anymore, right? Because $100,000 yeah. a year in San Francisco is nothing. Yes, yes. So maybe he's sitting back and he's looking at those things and he's like, oh, damn, you know, maybe they have a point. Maybe they yeah. have a point. So I, I don't know. Yeah, some of the things that I... um and I wish I could remember the name of this, the man that he was interviewing. I'm an African-American woman. And some of the things that I hear said regarding surrounding race are, I'm, I'm just sort of, hmm, you know, what's, what's up with that? And I wish he would have Cornell West back on his show now that he's in Austin, just saying. So, <laughs> just so that we can sort of see. Um, but yeah, but that was all, that was what I wanted to say. And I enjoyed, I took the time and I joined the, um, the call in and got the app. So this is my first time doing that. And that was, I'm glad I did. I enjoy the quality of your show and your perspective is of value to me. Oh, thank you so much, Teresa. Um, and, th- and thank you for uh, downloading the app too. I'm actually, I'm, I think I'm over a hundred or excuse me, 800 subs on call in now. I'm trying to, my goal is to get to a thousand, which is for call in. That's actually a lot. 
because mm-hmm. there weren't yeah, that I've many free water. <laughs> I'd never heard of them before. I said, oh, oh, we'll try it. But um, yeah, but thank you so much. And you have a, a great evening, everybody. Thanks. All right. We're going to bring on Curl. You are on the mic. You just have to unmute. Hey, Sabrina. Sorry for bugging you tonight. Uh, I just uh, was listening and I had a couple of thoughts I wanted to share. Uh, number one was um, when you were talking about not getting notifications for the Jimmy Dore show. Um I actually, earlier this year, during kind of the height of the cancel Joe Rogan over COVID thing, um, was using my VPN to go around the country from joints to see if I could get a better reception on the Jimmy Dore show. And um, I did in certain areas, but more interesting than that was the live stream numbers were wildly different depending on where I had my VPN set. So. In Georgia, there would be 11,000 people. In Texas, there'd be 12,000 people. In California, there'd be 6,000 people. So I'm like, are these numbers completely wrong or made up or what is this? So I thought you might find that interesting. And then um, the other thing was I was thinking, <clears throat> I'm sure it's come point, but as far as the Facebook or Twitter kind of censoring or suppressing things, I don't understand why a coordinated campaign to alert the censors over and over and over again and just flood them with work to see if it's their their misinformation, quote unquote, and just kill their business with, you know, alerting the censors over and over again. So if it's whatever, today they're censoring Flat Earth, just a coordinated effort to post Flat Earth stuff all day long and just destroy their tech support. Just a thought. That's all I had to say. That's an interesting idea. Um, I hear what you say about the live stream numbers, too, because like me and my husband can be sitting in the same room and he can look on his phone and it says that a certain number of people are watching. And I look on my phone and the count is different. Yeah, I don't know if it has to do with is it device? Is it per device or per IP? Or why would it be different with the VPN? Because you can just set, you know, I want to be streaming out of atlanta georgia let's say and then the next day it'll be you know idaho or something like that and it's i was it during that period of time i was flipping around specifically to see if i could get a better connection to a show and uh and i was seeing all these different numbers and i was like why would that be are they showing different numbers to different people or is it is it actually a different number from minute to minute i I don't understand anyway yeah, that is really interesting, especially considering he's in California. So you would think the numbers for California would actually be higher. Um, but I don't know. I will tell you guys one thing, like the number, the count that you guys see, like when you're watching live, that is not the count that I see in YouTube studio. And they, oh, they really? delay okay. those numbers. Oh, yeah. Same thing with. Um, oh, hold on one second. Sorry, a really loud car went by. Um same thing with uh when i post like clips for my live streams like it may say a thousand views but video it's always higher they just don't put the numbers out as fast that's another way of suppression too by the way people are more likely to click on yeah it's just very frustrating because i do pay for the the premium service to not have ads and stuff and i'm constantly i have to see covid19 advertising and 
it's just uh, it's very frustrating to pay for a service and not have any say over how it comes to me. So anyway, I'll let you go. Thank you so much, Sabrina. Thanks so much. I'm going to bring in Rena, who I believe has a, a little puppy here in her picture. You just have to unmute, Rena. Hi, Sabby. Uh, nice to talk to you. Nice to actually see a couple of women callers on a call-in show. That's so unusual. Uh, uh, shout to the previous lady who was talking about the Equal Rights Amendment. I'm so old. I remember when we were trying to get the Equal Rights Amendment passed. And I have a, I have a thought that has it comes to me periodically, and I've griped about this to especially some younger people uh, who have call-in shows, but um, I'm a boomer, sick to death of boomers getting blamed for everything. And the most recent example is Biden's little piss poor fish that he threw to people with student loan debt. Uh, I have seen so many comments on Twitter along the lines of boomers got to go to college for on the cheap and then they pulled up the ladder after them. Okay, I'm a boomer. I got to go to college on the cheap. I had uh, scholarships and work study and grants and assorted things. I even went to an out-of-state school and paid higher tuition. And I did have a loan. It was called a National Defense Student Loan, NDSLA, National Defense Student Loan Act. And the interest rate was 3%. Didn't kick in for a couple of years after I graduated. And when it did kick in, the payments were small. It was by far and away not the largest part of the financial aid that I got to go to college. Payments were small. I wasn't making a whole lot of money at the time because uh, surprise, surprise, capitalism, the economy sucked then uh, also, but it wasn't a problem to, to make the payments. It was paid off in 10 years. The interest rate was 3% over and done with. I didn't pull up any damned ladder after me. I didn't want anybody to have to go into any kind of debt for college. It, it's just another way of dividing people. All of this generational crap that gets talked about. The millennials are this and Gen X is that and Gen Z is awful. And oh my God, everything is the boomer's fault. And I don't know. It's, I know, I know I'm either shouting shouting in an empty auditorium or just talking to hear my own head roar or something but i i am thoroughly sick to death of it most boomers aren't bazillionaires and the people who made these kind of decisions they sure as hell didn't ask me any more than they asked any of the younger people who got sucked into all this all this college debt so anyway i just i just wanted to vent about that very briefly and the other thing i wanted to say was that I think it would be really nice if people who have YouTube shows would quit calling each other names. And I'm not talking about you at all, uh, but I am talking about people who are having beefs 
with one another for whatever the reasons are. And so, so and so, my least favorite one is grifter. And that seems to be used uh, far too often, in my humble opinion, against people who have more cybers than you do. And if anybody's wondering who I'm talking about, I'm talking about the Vanguard guys. Uh, so Jackson Hinkle's a grifter because what they started, they used to have about the same number of subs and now Jackson Hinkle has more subs. It seems like jealousy to me. Uh, I hate the grifter term. I hate alt-right or uh, fascist leaning or any of that stuff for people who are left of your own position. Seems like Jimmy Dore, uh, Glenn Greenwald, uh, Jackson Hinkle, people who you could pretty legitimately say have, have pretty strong left-wing views get called alt-right because they're further left than some more mainstream lefty kind of people. It just it, it just seems ridiculous. And I will give a pass to one of my favorite names, which is Boutique Left that your friend and mine, Nick Cruz, uses all the time. That one's allowed. So anyway, that's my little vent, my little rant for this evening. And uh, like I say, I know you don't call people names and other people pretty much don't call other people names. And uh, if anybody missed uh, Aaron Mate and the Vanguard, you really should go watch that that video. It's it's worth it. Thanks, Abby. I saw yeah, I, I saw part of it, and then I stopped watching it once it turned into a discussion. Jackson Hinkle because that's that was not the conversation that he was brought on there to discuss. I, I do think oh guilt by yeah. association. You oh it was it was re ridiculous it really was it was yeah I, I don't like when people do that I, I I will say this um oh I have a lot to say about this I know I know both of them I I know the guys from Vanguard and I know Jackson Hinkle uh interestingly enough I actually knew Vanguard first they came onto my channel over a year ago actually over a year and a half ago that was right. back when I had like 2,000 subs. That was, yeah, many moons ago. And <clears throat> I think at that point, they may have had like 3,000 subs. So we were both very, very small at that time. And then um, I will say like knowing both of them, I honestly don't know where all this started. I really don't. I've had Jackson Hinkle and Vanguard on a panel uh, last year called The New Left and it was them with Franco and Unapologetic, Meg, RJ from um, RBN when they were still with us at RBN at that time. And it was actually a really good discussion. I don't know why they they don't like each other. I I never understood that. I will say that um, what I can say to you guys, like it, as if you're the audience. Because I've heard people like, I have heard people complain to me about this, that they're getting tired of like the name calling and stuff. I highly recommend that you guys also say that to them because I think it comes across a little bit better when it's actually coming from audience members saying like, listen, you know, I understand you guys are going to disagree on things, but 
it's actually better if you stick to the policies and the issues and explain why you're disagreeing. I disagree with them because of this policy. I disagree with them because of this issue. When it gets to the point where people are calling each other names, then it just comes across as petty. And you're not the first person to tell me this, Rena. Like a lot of people are tired of it. And in the same time, like nothing is being accomplished on the left. I mean, what have we done through the whole Bernie movement besides make AOC a celebrity? We really haven't won anything. And yet every time I turn around, all I see is like people calling each other all those names that you just mentioned. I hear them too. And we're not getting anywhere. And I think that the space, like from my experience, this space is, has been very territorial. And there are certain people that feel like they have certain time slots. Like some people don't feel you should same time that they stream. Uh, there are certain people that feel like only certain people should be in this space. I've had people tell me that uh, people can be pretty nasty, like in this in this space. And I've been pretty good about not telling you guys the things have, that have been said to me or the things that have been said to members of RBN. But we've had some very nasty things said to us by people who have been in this space for years. And I think, I think what would be best for both of them to do at this point is to just keep focusing, like focus on the issues and not get so hung up on these personalities. And I, I understand sometimes people might do it for clicks and for views, but I got to be honest with you, when I talk to people who watch the content, especially people who haven't decided where they are politically, it can be a turnoff to them and it can make them think, man, the left is a mess. I don't want to go over to that side. And I've said this before, too. I don't agree with Ben Shapiro and Candace uh, Owens on pretty much pretty much anything. But I, you never see them have this this type of fighting with each other. You don't see this on the right the way that you see it on the left. And I, I just wish people would get back to the actual issues instead of trying to focus on who's the most popular and who has uh, the most views and, and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like that's what it is now. I feel like because we don't have anybody leading this so-called movement that it was with Bernie's campaign, uh, when Bernie walked away from his movement, we don't have anybody leading the left anymore. So now people are just starting to eat each other. And don't yeah. get me wrong, like I, I have disagreements with I have disagreements with with some of the, the commentators on the left. I don't like uh, the fact that, and I brought this up earlier today, I don't like the fact that for years I've sat back here and I've watched some of these shows sit up here and tell their audience that the issues that matter to black people, we should not pursue it because it doesn't include everyone. And I've heard them particularly say that about things like reparations. I've heard them say that about things like defunding the police. And so- what did I do? Like, what did we do at RBN? We decided to start our own platform and educate people about why those issues are important. That is pretty much, I think, the best way to go is to explain to people why what you have to say and your policies and your agreements on the issues, why it is important. Because if it gets to the point where every time someone turns onto a stream and you're just calling people names, people aren't going to think you're serious and they're not going to take you seriously. And sometimes some of the people, they might like it for a little bit because they'll see it as entertainment. But for people who are struggling and really do need like these policies passed, it gets old. When is anything going to get done? Like I'm, I, I am tired of the personalities. I'm really sick of it. And 
Yeah, for me, it's it's hard for me because I am kind of in the middle. Like I said, I know both of them and I've had both of them on. And it's just, I don't feel, I don't yeah, like when people trying to make me take a side. Yeah, I've I've talked to the Vanguard guys on on their on their call-in show. You know, I uh, I uh, co- comment comment on the videos. You know, chime in chime in on the the live chat. I'll t- I'll tell you something interesting though. I I made a point of watching. Here, here here was the interesting thing about this whole Aaron Vanguard thing. That interview that that Max Max Blumenthal and Aaron Mate had with Colonel can't think of his first name, Doug McGregor, about Ukraine, was in March. And a few days ago, one minute from that interview pops up and people are are jumping all over Aaron for not pushing back hard enough because Colonel McGregor said something stupid about the U.S. military. You come from military family background, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, Sabby. Uh, yeah. They were, uh, my my dad my dad was in the military, not because he wanted to be, you know that 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 whole type of thing. He didn't didn't make a a life a life out of it, but you know, really, are we are we starting to call everybody who's ever served in the military a war criminal? And and that's yeah, that's, that's kind that's, of what that, it's come that's, to. That's that's the level of discussion. You know, he is um, he's a career military guy. He he has his view of of the role and the mission of the military. He do, he doesn't think they ever deliberately target targeted civilians. Aaron pointed out, uh, yeah, you did, and this was when. And he said, "I'm not going to have that debate with you." And then the whole the whole conversation went on. And the purpose of the conversation, of course, was to talk about Ukraine. So, but you know, how did that get picked up? That's what I want to know. Where did that minute come from? That one that one single minute, and all of a sudden, it's trending on Twitter, and it's a big deal. And again, it was from March. This is August. And that one minute gets pulled out, and then the next, the next thing, Aaron's, Aaron's like, uh, I'm going on the Vanguard, and I'll be talking about this. And I thought, oh, they have no idea what they're getting into here, because other than Glenn Greenwald, I am sorry, there is no person, no person. Bree's pretty good too. No person better in a bigger quotes conversation than Aaron Monte, and I have seen him hold his own. And uh, politely, calmly devastate some pretty heavy-hitting people before. And that's exactly what he did. And the live chat was boiling with fury at the way they were acting. And uh, the comment section, now that the live chat is no longer visible, I don't know what happens to live chats. You can remove it. Yeah, I, I, and maybe they're available somewhere, and I'm just dumb about about YouTube. I don't know, but yeah, believe me, there were plenty of negative comments. Well, what they've decided to do, and I saw this before when they got in that beef with Jimmy Dore, they decided to ignore the the comments. 
And yeah. and I saw some people saying, oh, the doorknobs are here. Well, I'm sorry, that's mm -hmm. just insulting. If it wasn't for Jimmy Dore, if it wasn't for Jimmy Dore and I think useful idiots, I wouldn't even know who the Vanguard was. Jimmy Dore is the reason that I follow you and Nick and the other people on RBN because Jimmy Dore went on went on lots of shows. Yeah. Yeah, he's the only Jackson, Jackson Hinkle, uh, you know, many, many others. And I dropped a lot of people that I had been watching and moved on to, to a lot of those new smaller channels because Jimmy Dore pointed them out to me. And and it's fine that there's a beef with Jimmy. I don't agree with everything, with every word that proceedeth out of his mouth or anybody else's. Uh, frankly, I got tired of a lot of the COVID stuff with Jimmy. Uh, I understand why he's more focused on it than I would prefer that he, he is, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't still have a valid show. And uh, I, I, it, it, it's just maddening to me that, that, that Jimmy trying to appeal I mean, wh why is anybody on YouTube or any of these other platforms, Rumble, Rockfin, whatever, except to increase your audience, right? I assume you're all doing this not for your health. You're, you're all doing this so that you can have an impact. Try to expand the number of people who are watching what you have to say, who are listening to your, your point of view about things. And I, you know, it's like call-in. You're having a call-in show because you want to interact with people who have who have something to say and, and may disagree with you, may agree with you. You're you're calling to get some feedback. You know, you're, you're doing all of this for more exposure and to to damn people because they're attracting people that you're not able to attract yourself. Like some of this 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 whole thing about right-wing grifters. And that you're attracting these right-wing people, and that makes you a grifter. How does it make you a grifter? Where's the money? Because that, because you've got because you've got right-wing people, say commenting on your on your YouTube stream. You know the the kind of comments like, "Oh my God, I, I you know I used to be a Trump supporter, and now I'm listening to you, and I think this is great." That makes that makes Jimmy Dore, for example, a grifter because he's converted a Trump. A, a fan of Trump to his point of view about something. I, I just don't understand it. There's not even any intellectual logic to it. I th and again, I, I think about 90% of it is just plain flat out jealousy that, that people's audience, some people's audiences are expanding and some are getting, it seems more insulated and isolated and inbred and, unhealthily unhealthily left-wing or some damn thing i don't know i'm i'm i think well, i'm losing my i can here, tell you but it's, but it's it's amazing to me and it's sad i can sad. tell you i i can i can tell you where this this all came from uh originally there was a split during force the vote <clears throat> oh that and, uh, yeah. so that was and, that and, was there was so, there was that, somebody, but then yeah, but then somebody explained that one to me. And Bree Bree was great when she yeah. was on with Jank about that. I'm I'm for force the vote. A lot of other people are for force the vote. 
doesn't matter to me that Jimmy Doris were forced to vote and don't try don't try and you know turn me into Jimmy Doors what was what was her phrase uh uh puppet marionette whatever <laughs> you know J- just because yeah. he and I agree, well, there was... and I agree on this issue yeah uh, yeah and, well, and there was and there was a split split there there's split there was about, a, um Let's about who goes on Tucker Carlson and who doesn't. And I think that's jealousy too. Who gets invited on Tucker Carlson? Yeah, well, here's, I think what people should understand a, a little bit of backstory uh, in, in reference to force the vote. That was something that both Vanguard, Jackson Hinkle both supported. So yeah. even with force the vote, that wasn't, wasn't an issue. Where there became another split was when TYT smeared Aaron Maté and then there was that whole uh, uh, beef between, I guess, Jimmy Dore and, and Kyle Kalinske in reference to the fact that, I guess, Kyle didn't really come to, like, Aaron's they defense go, or, Ky- or, or anything like that, right? So yeah, then, and Kyle, and Kyle and Kyle ghosted Jimmy, who was supposed to appear on their show. Yeah, I yeah. That. There was there was that, too. And then after that, Kyle made those that video where he was trying to explain why he did what he did, uh, the audience response was really bad. And so then he made another video uh, and the audience response was bad to that too. And it was after that, that some people who, I guess, you know, really like secular talk decided to take take his side. And then there were people that like Jimmy Dore and decided to take Jimmy Dore's side. And then like, that was when things got really, really rough because both of them were a part of force the vote. So now you have people who were a part of force the vote that now weren't talking to each other. And that, you know, that, that made some changes, I think, you know, in this space, but in reference to people calling certain people right wing, you know, I, that's going to happen anytime you have people telling you to leave the two party system. Anytime you have people saying that, the squad is, you know, forget the squad, forget the Democrats, like neither yeah. one of these parties is going to yeah. help you. That's that's going to happen. That is actually a pretty coordinated attack, right? When people start telling you they need to unite on class lines. Oh, yeah, of course, the others that they're going to tell you, they're gonna say, oh, that person is right wing. It's It's just an easy smear thing for them to do. But the question that we need to start asking ourselves is, but why are they doing it? And also, even if they do feel that that's true, why the hell do they even care? That's that's the thing to me is like, why do you care? I don't care what other people <laughs> like if, if you know, a lot of people like lost their shit when Dave Rubin decided, hey, you know, I'm conservative now. I really didn't give a shit. Like, I'm sorry. I guess I'm just not as invested. I don't <laughs> invest all my energy into like the personality. So for me, it's just like, OK, well, that's kind of weird, but whatever. So I think that. Again, I feel like, I think, I think for Vanguard, you know, I think they have found that they get a lot of views and a lot of clicks off of those types of videos. And now there's a dangerous thing about that. You can continue to try to do that. So you get the clicks and the views, but then at the same time, it gets to the point where people are like, what is the, what is your purpose? Are you just here to smear people? Are you just, is that why you're in the space just to smear? This stuff was not going on. I, I got to tell you, like when I first started my show, 
yeah, people had disagreements with each other, but all these these call out videos every day, this stuff was not happening. It was yeah. more about the it's, issues. It's, it's like factions, and i I think you're I think you're I think you're totally correct about the the whole two party thing. I I think there's a huge split on on between among people. I would say yeah, they're really on the left, whatever the hell any of us want to think that actually means. Between people who still, for some reason, think the Democratic Party can be reformed, and people who have given up that idea, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm glad yep. you brought that up because I I think that's where the fundamental divide comes. I I think that's why, yep. you know, some somebody like David Sirota, who I've listened to, I, I used to listen. He, he used to have a radio show in Denver. It was on for three hours a day, and I used to listen to him. And, you know, I've listened to him, read a lot of what he's written. He's a, he's a terrific journalist and a real journalist, too. I mean, like, with a degree from a journalism school. And and the work that the Lever does is excellent. And, I mean, he's a real journalist, and he's not a suck-up to the Democratic Party. But I think he criticizes the Democratic Party every bit as hard as he criticizes the Republican Party. But deep down in his heart of hearts, I think he thinks that he could, that the, the Democratic Party can be reformed. Jimmy Dore doesn't think that way. And therefore, yeah, there's but, always going to be that divide between them. Uh, yeah. It yeah, is, but I, I, kind I, of I think, you know, it, also in reference to David Sirota as well, I invited David Sirota on months ago to have that discussion and oh. he would not come on to have that discussion. He proceeded to smear us on Twitter instead. Oh no. Really? Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh I'm yes. I like I tried I tried to do it the right way and say, "Hey, I think there may be a misunderstanding that you think we don't want to do anything and it's not that we don't want to do anything, we just have a different we have a different strategy. It would be great to come on and talk about it." Yeah, definitely. he opened the email, didn't respond. In fact, right after that, he went right back to Twitter and started smearing our hand again. So this is why I tell you, like, I'm just telling you from my experience, most people in this space are not serious about actually getting something done. Most of them just want to be media personalities. And I've had this conversation with multiple people multiple times. And over time, you start to see who the ones are that actually want to do something. And when I say do something, I mean, not necessarily something. on camera. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it just like, you know, I mean, we're not saying everybody has to be like RBN and that everybody has to go, has to travel and, and go out and not everybody's going to be able to do mutual aid. We totally understand that. But there's a place for everybody. Like some people can do marketing. Some people can help with like, you know, things on the back end and not everybody can go out in the field. We totally get that and understand that. But I think, the, the biggest of the divide that you're seeing is a class divide and it happens mm -hmm. in this space as well. So for people who are like working class, people who are poor, those of us that are not millionaires and some people in this space are those of us who are not, we're like, look, we know what it's like to struggle. We've been there. Uh, let's try to work together to get things done. They don't want to work. They don't want to do that. This is what I'm trying to get people to understand. They don't want to do that. They want to do what's easier for them because, again, they're not in the situation. 
they don't have the struggle. They don't come from that kind of struggle. So it's not like we haven't tried. That's the thing I want people to understand. It's not like we just pushed people away and said, we don't want anything to do with you guys. We've tried to have these, these conversations. We've tried to work with, with people. And what we found along the way is that some people are very comfortable and they don't want to participate in any of this stuff that requires them being off camera. And so for it is what it is. Like we can't make people do it. The problem that I have that you don't then turn around and start smearing us because we're doing something different. That's exactly. the problem. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh it's a bigger mess than I thought it was, and I already thought it was a pretty big mess. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible yeah. and nonproductive. And and somebody somebody pointed out and I had kind of forgotten this. That that the van, the vanguard started because they wanted to get that van spruced up and start running around, um, kind of like Jordan Cheriton does, and you know, going out on the road and doing on the road reporting and stuff. And it it seems like that's got for them that's gotten put totally on the back burner. And I'm not and I'm I'm not trying to bash them. Their show is their business and how they want to run it is, is their business, et cetera, et cetera. But it does seem like that goal of being actually out there talking to real people in real life and stuff has, has kind of faded away in, in favor of this sniping at people stuff. Anyway, I just, I don't know. I, I just felt like yeah. venting about this <laughs> and yeah. especially about, you know, quit picking on us old boomers. Damn, we're all doing the best we can. Oh, thank you so much, Rena. Thank you for listening. And interesting, interesting to hear your thoughts on all of this too, Sabby. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. I'm going to bring in uh, Vin here. Vin, I'm going to pull you in, make you the next caller. And I just want to say this really quick. I think in reference to both of those, those guys like Vanguard and Jackson Hinkle, you know, they're really young. And I'm just trying to remember Mike at that age, like, they're young. They're going to make some mistakes. What I sincerely hope doesn't happen is I, I worry about, I don't know, I worry about people getting into this space that are that young because I've seen a lot of people taken advantage of. And I sincerely hope that, I hope that does not happen, but I've seen it happen. I've I've seen it happen to people. Um, Vin, I'm sorry, go ahead. Hey, guys. Hey, what's up? What's up? Um, I think your the title for this is very apt in terms of, um, I guess, what happened to the left kind of uh, discussion. I've never took the left seriously in in the U.S. I just think it's it's always been pretty weak. And at the end of the day, it's consolidated around the Democratic Party when it matters most. But I think the story. I think I thought that Zuckerberg thing was very revealing. It's not like we didn't know. It's pretty clear what what happened to anybody who was actually paying attention, but I think that the laptop uh, Hunter Biden laptop thing during the 2020 election was one of the first major inflection points, uh, I believe, because what happened was you had a lot of the a lot of progressives, let's say, were didn't even want to look at it. You know, they were like. Oh, there's nothing to see here. It's just they went with the 
I mean, literally the State Department, the CIA, the FBI line of this is Russian disinformation, which was garbage. It wasn't Russian disinformation. But that was the line that was parroted. And because of their, I guess, fear, and I, I mean, I guess it's genuine, their fear of Trump, that he's this so-called authoritarian fascist, which I just find, I'm sorry, it's just so ridiculous that Trump is a, a fascist. I mean, it's just, it's a joke. I mean, if you can't be a fascist and have pretty much next to nothing when it comes to institutional support. I mean, Trump is the, 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 the deep institutions, the deep state, if you want to call it. They don't like Trump because Trump is an unreliable out messenger. That's all it is. Yeah, he'll do their bidding, but he's he just he's unreliable and they wanted him out of there. They wanted him out of there pretty much from the beginning of his presidency because he went to kind of beef with the CIA, which you do not do. I think even uh Glenn Greenwald references quite a bit when he first uh got elected. Um I believe it was um Chuck Schumer said this in an interview saying, I don't know what he's doing going up going uh, talking bad about the CIA, but you know, they don't do that. And I mean, it's kind of true, but I guess going back to what I was saying is, um, there was this fear about Trump. So everybody put their head down. Nobody, nobody really covered that story. The only people who did like, I guess there's the Jimmy doors, there's the Glenn Greenwalls, those kind of people. Yeah, they covered it, but nobody else seriously did. And then we went to, and then we had the election. And then after the election, we had more of the COVID stuff. And COVID to me was a huge thing because what, what, what started to happen over the last few years, and this goes to the, the Zuckerberg thing, is the, the, this, the, the government has pretty much merged with more, more so the Democratic Party, I would say, and the neocons. And all that kind of those kind of factions have merged into one in terms of controlling the flow of information, because now they're so scared of quote unquote misinformation and disinformation that there's a strict party line, and everybody has to adhere by that. That's media outlets, that's social media, that's everybody. Anybody who dissents against that is censored, banned, whatever you want to call it. So if you call that grifting. What you're really saying is these people who go against those narratives, all they get is deplatformed. I don't see how that's grifting at all. But to me, it's it's this is just I mean it's 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 really fascism. I don't know what else to call it. The state and corporations are merging to flow control the flow of information. Ukraine yep. happens, same thing. It's just one specific party line to the point where the these Progressives are so deranged where when last week or this earlier this week, when the daughter Alexander Dugan gets assassinated in Moscow, people are cheering that on. That's kind of fucked up. People are cheering that on. I thought we were all about free speech when Salman Rushdie got stabbed, but no. But now are we, are we really, are we really though? And I, I, I that's a good question. I, I bring this up because a lot of people say that, but then their actions show something different. Exactly. So to me, I, I, I think at the end of the day, um, the people who are the reason why the left is so fractured is you have the majority of the left 
that pretty much just go party line. They they act like, you know, they'll have their little talking points that are, oh, I'm against the Democratic Party and this and this and this. But when it comes to the real major issues, I'm not talking about, you know, legisl- some legislative stuff here, some issues in Congress there, some executive. I'm talking about the real major issues, COVID, Ukraine, whatever. You want to name the issue, it doesn't matter. They fall in line. If you look at the look at the coverage of Ukraine on any progressive outlet and media figures or whoever, whatever you want to call it, and look at MSNBC and CNN and tell me if there's a difference in the coverage. There's no difference. Same with COVID. Was there a difference? Did anybody question lockdowns on the left? Like, I mean, yeah. there were people, but I'm talking about a lot of the progressives. They didn't. They just went with it. They didn't. They yeah. didn't talk, we're not talking about vaccines. We're talking about lockdowns lockdown. and how they affected the world. We're ta- how they affected the uh, working class communities. Look at what lockdowns have yep. done to the global south. How many million, millions of people are now back in poverty because of these policies? And who cheerleaded it? The left. The left actually pushed it more than anybody. And it's it's just so frustrating because the problem is now is now the people who have who are against the institution, people who are skeptical of these narratives, and I, 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 I support those people, but the people who are against those who is it now? It's the right wing. That's it. The libertarians, some of them, the MAGA people, those are the people who, who are all of a sudden want to defund the FBI, who are against sending money to Ukraine or questioning the Ukraine narrative or the lockdowns. I'm like, why is the left doing this? Why are they seeding this? And it's like, nah, man, there is no left. I've always had that position. It's frustrating, but it's just the situation that you have. So... This is and you something well, that you constantly say, which I'll just say real quick, and that is that you got to have people who actually come from these communities that actually speak for them, because yep. a lot of these people who talk the reason why they don't talk about lo- the effects of lockdowns because they got a nice they got a lot of money coming in from Patreon and they sit That's at right. home in their apartment and they good they don't care That's right so oh you're stupid you can't even stay inside and remember when they made fun of. Um, uh, people who they said, oh, look at these people. They want their treat. They want to go to like, what was it? Um, Applebee's. And they made fun of them. for it. And I'm like, yo, you guys are fucked up, man. You guys are like, you just hate poor people. They do. It's That's what it comes down to. But I, I'm ranting. But yeah, that's like, I don't know what you think about that. But I think it's yeah. all about the information control. That's the problem we're facing right now. And people are just too here to fall in line. I think that's where it is. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. I don't think we have a true left in this country, not when you compare us to like the global south, for example. And I'll say that uh, when you talk about the lockdowns, a lot of that's issue. And I say that as someone I'm in Massachusetts, my state was locked down. And I'm going to give you a couple examples of the class issue. Uh, For people who worked at restaurants, they were waitresses, bartenders. For people who uh, worked at like Dunkin' Donuts, like places like that, right? Those people were sent home. And those people were sent home with no pay. And a lot of small, mainly the small mom and pop businesses here closed, had to end up closing for good because we were locked down for so long that by the time uh, summer came around is when they said, okay, open and people can sit outside. By the time that happened, 
businesses had lost so much money, they couldn't afford to reopen. So, and I'm talking to mom and pop businesses in the tourist areas here in Boston, closed down. If you go down Boston Street, Poor House, McGreevy's, uh, all of those, those places that a lot of people like to go to, the tourists like to go to, gone. And so when those businesses closed, all their employees lost their jobs. And so right. for people who lived in states like my parents in South Carolina, their state didn't close down. So they didn't experience any of this. Like when I would talk to my parents, explaining to them, all these businesses are closed permanently. All these people lost their jobs. And in the other aspect in reference to education, I can tell you, this was also a class issue because the people who made the rules, Governor Baker, who's pretty wealthy here, he wasn't thinking about the fact that when you told those students that they all had to go home and learn remotely, he wasn't thinking about the fact that a lot of these kids that do not live in well-off areas, they did not have strong Wi-Fi to sit there for eight hours a day and do the coursework. They did not have their own bedroom. They were sharing a bedroom with a brother or a sister. And so you had like three kids in like one bedroom trying to learn on a computer. And of course, not everybody had their own computer. They didn't think about that. They didn't think about the fact that I know like as academic advisor, I had a student who was sitting in a closet during class because she couldn't there was nowhere in her house where she could have any type of privacy you know what it's like to sit in a closet for eight hours a day like trying to learn and you have all the family members with you their presumption was every child has their own bedroom every child has their own laptop the school didn't provide any resources they didn't provide computers for those kids that didn't have them that no you have five kids in a household and all of them are going to be using the Wi-Fi at the same time. Like a lot of people don't have internet like that. That's going to be conducive to that. And no, and a, and a lot exactly and some of those right. kids, exactly right. some of those kids are living. So they they were in their parents' house. Also in their parents' house, it wasn't just them and their parents. Some of them had them, their siblings, their parents, their grandparents. You know, like their their siblings' kids. Like this is this is the experience. So now all these kids in this in this apartment got to sit down and try to learn remotely and focus and pay attention for eight hours. And God forbid your Wi-Fi isn't strong enough. So the performance wasn't good for the students who lived in like the inner city area in Boston. They, they did not have good performance. And what I had recommended and some of the other people did too, why don't you guys, it was late March. Why don't you guys just give them a pass, all of them a pass for the rest of the semester and let people chill. They wouldn't do that. They said, no, you're all going to learn remotely. And I said, you are not taking into consideration the students that don't have the resources to do this work at home Monday through Friday. This was also right. a racial issue because most of the black students didn't have those resources. Thank you. And you know what, Sabi? Twenty. I, I saw 28 percent of uh, uh, I think it was 28 or 18. I got to get the number. It was It was somewhere there fell out of the school system last year in yep. uh, high school students. You know how this, like how massive that is? And they don't talk about the single mom or the single father who got yep. a bunch of kids and he, 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 he or she brings them to work, uh, to school, 
because that's the only place he knows that they're going to be safe so he can actually go to work or she can actually go to work and support the family. But what happens when you lock the schools down and now we know they lock them down unnecessarily? The science shows that now. What happens? Now the parent can't work. That single parent can't work and they lose their income. And now they're relying on unemployment checks that are going to run out. It's just, and the thing that frustrates me is like I, I was in a call-in room with, uh, what's his name, Jordan Sheraton. I'm not, I don't know the guy, but I brought this up. And you know what they told me? Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. There was no real lockdown in the United States. There was no lockdown. And I'm like, oh, we didn't have a China style. Okay, we didn't have a China style lockdown. But the only people who thought there's no lockdown are people who were comfortable. I'm sorry. If you're comfortable, yep. you didn't feel it. But if you weren't comfortable, if you came from the working class, if you came from, you know, a lot of these neighborhoods, you felt that shit, man. Your life was yep. ruined, man. But these people don't care. They don't care. They just hate. They, they I, I just think they hate poor people at the end of the day. They want to be the, um, sub, It's. I think it's a subconscious thing because I don't think outwardly they're thinking, oh, I hate poor people, but I got to pretend like I care about the working class. It's not that. It's just something subconscious in them because I cannot explain why you wouldn't talk about, like right now in Washington, they have a vaccine mandate for kids going to school, which doesn't sense scientifically, but whatever. It doesn't matter how you feel about the vaccine, but what it what that policy is doing right now is 40% of black kids in DC aren't vaccinated who are in high school between the ages of 12 and 17. So what happens to them? No, they can't go to school. That's what the mayor said. They can't go to school. Yep. And, and what does the left do? They don't do anything. Now the right wing is saying, hey, this is a racist policy. I'm, I'm reading the coverage. The yep. right wing is saying this is a racist policy. Now, we know they're saying that because it's a convenient political attack on Democrats or whatever. I don't even care. I'm just happy they're bringing it up because the pathetic left doesn't even want to talk about that. You know what they say? Oh, just get vaccinated, bro. It doesn't matter. Just get vaccinated. Like, just oh, these people, man, they get on my nerves. Like, I, I think really think the last two years revealed so much about who actually cares about working people and who doesn't because you can you if if you don't even want to look i understand if you were wrong you were psyoped into the whole covid narrative i get it it was a lot of me sure i understand now i understand how people supported the iraq war i actually kind of get it now i was i was i couldn't believe it at the time but now i understand on some level okay the average citizen who was like okay i guess we'll go to war in iraq but like i understand but now that the evidence is all here and it's it's we're coming out of it and you can't have the integrity to say, hey, you know what? I was wrong about this. And these policies have caused this and this, this, this effect in working class communities, black, white. I don't care who you are. You felt that shit if you're poor. But no, it's none of that. They just ignore it now. Oh, and we don't talk about, oh, get over COVID. Oh, Jimmy, stop covering COVID. It's like, I'm sorry, man. It's not like you can feel about how you want to feel about certain scientific issues. I don't give a fuck. But can we at least talk about what these non-pharmaceutical inventions, which were these policies that they implemented and how it affected working people. Until you bring that up, I will never respect you as a quote-unquote political commentator. I just don't give a fuck. I don't respect you if you don't bring that up. And I I mean, that's why I don't, I don't, I, 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 whatever, I don't really care for a lot of these talking heads it doesn't really matter to me i have my certain news 
outlets that I follow and it is what it is. There are certain commentators like yourself, I'll listen to what they have to say because when I listen to you talk, for example, I'm like, okay, I can actually relate to this person in a way because yeah, she she is actually speaking to the issues that people feel. I get that and I respect that. And I will listen to people like you, but I'm I'm not listening to these motherfuckers who will not for a second look back at the mistakes that they made and in terms of not covering these issues and even now because we're gonna we're gonna see these repercussions of these policies for the next decade and and they're not gonna talk about it maybe they will in five years when it's safe but they're not even gonna do it now fuck you i ain't listening to you i'm done with your bullshit yeah i think what people have to realize is that the left uh i guess we say the left like space so much uh, in the United States has been controlled by uh, academics. And it's been this way for a long time. And I think that they understand, and we talk about the racial component, they may understand black people who are like them, but they don't understand black people who are working class and black people who are poor. Because if you haven't right. been right. in in the you really don't understand. And I'm not talking about you go to a poor neighborhood and you do charity. That's not actually living the experience of what it's like to be poor, what it's like to be working class. So I've been on both sides. So I know I've seen the difference. I know what it's like to work two jobs. I also know what it's like to go to school with a lot of rich kids who don't understand when you say to them that you can't go to spring break with them because your parents aren't going to pay for that. And you have to pay for it on your own if you want to. And they just kind of look at you like, your parents won't pay for your spring break? Like, so I've been on both sides. They just don't understand. And I think instead of calling people stupid, which is something that I notice tends to happen, instead of calling working class and poor people stupid, maybe sometimes it's good to just shut the fuck up and listen to what they have to say. And people don't want to do that. Too many people don't want to leave their comfortable seat. Too many people, man, I've seen it many times. They they talk a good game. They'll say that we need to do things for working class people. And they they don't mention, by the way, they'll say we need to do things to help working class people. But most of them won't even step foot in a neighborhood of working class people. It's just a lot. They're not they're not comfortable around those people. That's what it is. And at the end of the day, you write about them being consumed by the academic class. That's exactly what it is, because them. They want to feel smart. They want to feel uh, like, oh, I I follow science, bro. Um, I follow the experts, bro. That's what they want to feel. It doesn't matter what the issue is. That's what they want to feel. Oh, the poor people. Oh, they're the chuds. They're the chuds who won't take the vaccine. They're the ch- they're the they're the idiots who want to protest lockdowns. Like they were they were bashing people for protesting lockdowns, and these are people who lost their jobs, man. Like these are people who got yeah. nothing. And, they're, and, they're, and they want to they want to bash them as idiots, as Nazis, as right wingers. Nah, you guys supported fascism and just own up to it. That's what you did. You supported fascism, and you're supporting it now. And it's it's, it's what it is. And but no, they want to. They just want to deflect and you know call other people. Okay, you could say the Republicans are fascists. Yeah, fuck the Republicans. But you know what? You're the bigger fascist because you supported that shit. I don't care. The Democrats to me are the bigger fascists. They are. And the progressives who support them, fuck you. The people who support all these COVID policies, fuck you. You don't care about poor people. And I'm done ranting and I'm out. Thanks so much, Vin. All righty. It looks like we have Eric here on the mic. 
Hey, Savvy. How you doing, Savvy? Hey, Eric. Second night in a row that I'm calling. Uh, you know, as far as uh, Zuckerberg, I think that I was affected. You know, if you follow his history and uh, just do a little bit of research on him, which is not very hard to do. Uh, and just in recent years, when, when he's come up to, uh, to Congress to speak, uh, the guy speaks like a politician. Yeah. They've done things at Facebook that are detrimental to the users, whether it's, you know, gaining their information or sharing their information. And then even during uh, Russiagate, propagating certain things uh, by companies that pay their ads. And so, uh, yeah, they, they're, they're in it with, uh, with all these three-letter words. Uh, I guess state-driven, government-driven uh, organizations. Like, you know, I'm sure they're in with the FBI and the CIA. Uh, I'm sure they have people there that are making sure that things are run a certain type of way. And so, no, I'm not surprised with Zuckerberg and what what they're doing at Facebook. But going back to, you know, why is it that the left here in America is so uh, weak? And you have to look at the history of the U.S. and nationalism, uh, American exceptionalism. These are things that are ingrained in us from birth, uh, from comic books, from the movies that we watch, uh, you know, the American flag, all the red that we see growing up till we become young adults. It's all geared towards we decide what the world direction should be and what we do is the right thing just by birth. And so in part, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't join the left because they see it as a way of going against the nation. Uh, and I see that, you know, very clearly I I've got, uh, close friends who are, uh, you know, definitely critical thinkers, but when it comes to anything that you start to, in a sense, uh, have, uh, an objection to what the U S is doing in terms of its policies outside of the U S they automatically think that you're pro-Russian, pro-Putin, uh, pro anything against the U.S. And their critical thinking goes out the window and they become nationalists. Uh, they become American exceptionalist thinking minded people. And it's because of this propaganda that's so uh, consuming our minds uh, over and over from the day that we're born that it it only has only a few people like us here listening to you and in, in, in the small left uh, that we have in the U.S. and why it's so weak. It's because of that. You know, we're inundated with this information that we have to be nationalist, that we have to stand for the American flag. And if you don't do it, uh, you're quickly, you know, in a sense, put away in the corner and ostracized if you do that. Uh, and if anything, you know, YouTube... And having independent channels like RBN, like your channel, has allowed us to kind of come to a place where we can voice our opinions, but they're still small, right? But that is a big reason why we can't get past anything because of this American nationalism that's ingrained in, in the majority of the population. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And, you know, you just made me uh, remember uh, Colin Kaepernick, you know, you, you saw how he was treated when he didn't you know, stand for the flag. And I think that um, if anybody has not seen uh, his show on Netflix, it's about uh, 
when he was in high school, like when he's growing up and, and the stuff that he had to deal with. So he was adopted and I don't want to give too much away, but he was adopted. And there was a lot that he had to deal with that didn't necessarily involve sports because his adoptive parents were white. And, you know, there was something that he said, cause he's in the show too, like himself, like he kind of narrates parts of it. And there was something that he said during one of the episodes that really made me think. And he said, what you have to understand is that what is considered acceptable in the United States is what is acceptable by white people. And, and that's the way it's always been in this country. So when you look at certain things, when you look at like behavior, right? right? When you look at behavior, why is it considered not acceptable for black people to wear their hair a certain way at work? Why is it not considered acceptable for kids to have braids? And even in some of these schools, they're telling the kids they can't have braids. Why? Who says that's unprofessional? Who says it's not acceptable? That doesn't come from black culture. Right. So that that's the standard that we have in this country. So anything outside of what is considered acceptable by in reference to like white supremacy, anything outside of that is not acceptable. And that includes when we talk about like um, the, the, the lockdowns and things like that, like what I said in reference to the education system, they didn't think about the fact that most of the black kids were greatly going to suffer from remote learning. They didn't think about that. You know why? Because that's not their world. They're looking at it from the lens of what's acceptable in white supremacy. They won't say that. They may not realize that, but that is the way that we have been conditioned in this country. It, and that's that's a good word to use, conditioning. You know, how is it that we get to the place that we are today where only a few people are actually here that we see in the left? Is that condition I'm talking about from birth and the movies are a big part of it. You know, I mean, consider that a lot of people in the U.S. can't even read. So they get most of their yep. information through watching right pictures, moving pictures, if you will, in the TV or the movies. And what do you see in those movies? You know, over the last 50, 60 years, what you're describing is everything is Anglo American perspective, right? It, you know, I remember growing up as a kid and, in, 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 you know, where I grew up and, and looking at movies that were made uh, from the area that I lived in here in, in, the, in the Bay Area. And I would see all these people and I would always ask myself, how come I don't see people like myself in these movies? Where's where are my friends in those movies? How come I don't see people that look like me? And how is it that these people have all these things that I don't have? And I would always go back, even if I liked the movie, I would always think about that. Like, why is it that I don't have these things that these people have in the movies? Uh, you know, just even having an allowance, you know, like you were describing how some people don't have a place to have, uh, you know, to, to, to do their thing for uh, school. They have to go in the closet. Things like that. In, in the movies, you always think you always see these perspectives that are not realistic to the majority of us. Uh, and, in, and then in turn, what happens is we start to internalize the pictures and the concepts of what it should be, what it is to be good, what it is to have the ideal home, the ideal setting, right? And out of that, we internalize it. And as we get older, even us, we start to think that that is the right way for things to be. You know what I mean? And that's a lot of times that's how you get people that would normally, uh, had they not been conditioned, would be on our side 
But through all that conditioning, they actually start to view everything through that Anglo perspective. And then as they get older, they don't know any better. They literally, it's hard for them to get past that. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, you could go back to Fred Hampton, how he was awakening people's eyes to like, hey, we're all in this. The majority of us, we're in this together. It's only that small percentage that's actually controlling us and why, they, you know, they had to get rid of them and others like them because of that, because of that, the message of, of uniting people to understand, like, look, we're all together. It really, there's only a few people up there at the top and, and, and the powers that can't have that, you know, and, and so that's why the, the left is so weak because of all that conditioning, Savvy. Well said, Eric. I got Case Study QB in the house. Case, you want to chime in here? Hey, much love to you, Savvy Savs, and everybody in the chat. Yeah, basically, um, very interesting. I, I was able to jump in and out, and out because I'm at work, but I, I was able to catch, um, you know, some of the discussion. And I think in regards to, you know, the social media, Mark Zuckerberg revealing what he said, um, I think it, I, I really wish that the, the new apps coming up, like even calling, and I, I think I brought this up on a calling when I was with uh, on Brianna Joy Grace um, show, and even somebody from calling was in the chat, like from the actual company. I was saying that apps should have their own standards um, that would adhere to like the Bill of Rights, the Internet Bill of Rights, uh, so that they don't have to wait for the government standardized um, what they should be. They should say, like, if I was Mark and, you know, in, initially they had a lot of pressure because from what I understand early on in Facebook, he was standing the pressure to adhere to, you know, what the, the government wanted to um, give over information, all this stuff at the at the beginning. But eventually, you know, even because even the, he said it himself, the FBI came to him to do certain things. But I would say, hey, let me put this out there. Uh, we have a standard almost like comic books if you if if anybody ever noticed and i don't know if they still do this comic books used to have their own like standards like of not having you know pornography or curse words and they would have like a stamp in the upper corner of like almost every comic book and when it didn't have that then they had heard to you know other um like x-rated type of stuff in their comics so you would kind of know um what to give to your kids and what to buy from them it, this is an idea i think that social media people should say like if i was to start up a facebook or something i would say hey just to let the government know we're on the libertarian type of company where we let almost everything go here's the few things that we won't tolerate like doxing people and threats etc put that have be very transparent also if if the fbi or the government comes to us to say hey we have a warrant for this account because of terrorism you know we, I would adhere to it, but I'll say after 10 days, um, we're going to be fully transparent to let the, everyone know that the FBI, every time the FBI requested something, we would let the public know. You know what I'm saying? So I think the answer is more transparency. Um, I'm curious what you think and uh, even people in the audience, what they think about that. That's interesting, Kate. You just reminded me of like, um, I don't know how old everyone is in the chat, but I remember like going to the music store and buying CDs. Mm -hmm. I remember they had like the parent advisory sticker yeah. like on some of the CDs. So you knew yeah. what you were like getting yourself into. But go exactly. ahead, Eric. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, you know, uh, salute to Case Study QB. I, oh, much yeah, love. I feel very, you know, uh, 
privilege to talk to you. Uh, oh, I appreciate and, it, my man. And thank you to Sadi for letting us get case study QB. We see your clips on many, many shows. I don't, yeah. know, how you, I don't know how you do it, man. But <laughs> I just want to say thank you on behalf of all the people that, that get to view your, wow. your, your your information. Thank you so much, man. Thank, nah, thank you so much. I appreciate the love. And this is all, this is what I do as my part of the left ecosystem. You know, I'm not as charismatic as our um, buddy Sabs and, and everybody <laughs> else, but um, we all have our part to play. You know, Sabs doesn't have the time to be uh, clipping all these clips and, and, and I don't have her charisma. So this is how we work in synergy <laughs> to um, get the word out and to build left solidarity. Thank you so hey, much, Eric. Hey, man, you're killing the game. I got to say, from everything that I've <laughs> seen, you're killing the game with what you're doing. And you got your own charisma with the clips you put together. So thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it, Eric. No, it's true. Um, um, Eric, I'm going to bring in uh, Karthik uh, real quick. but Thank, thank you, Savvy. Thank you, Case Study Kiwi. Thank, thank you, you buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, uh, Case, it's really funny. Um, I got a new subscriber. I think this was like a week or two ago. And they came into the chat and they said, can someone, what is a case study QB? <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, early on, people were like, oh, the, those case study QB guys. And I'm like, no, it's just me. It's just one person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I appreciate all the love. That's what I do. That's what I'm here for. All right, Karthik, you're on the mic. Hey, what's up, uh, Sammy? Um, so I, I, I know like some of people have probably wonder this too or ask this but like i i know for a long time like on youtube uh lefties it was just like much all white people with some few exceptions how come like you think like until very recently with rbn um like like uh, on on youtube it's mainly been like uh, uh white people um you know giving like a uh leftist point of view yeah that's part of the reason why those of us are decided to come into this space is because there weren't there were very few black people the first one that I found, actually, I, I didn't find him. Uh, my husband actually found him, and that was Nico House. And we watched one of his videos, and then we continued to watch his videos. And this is, like, back when, I don't know if everybody remembers this, this is back when Nico had, like, the Miami Beach kind of, like, background um, behind him. And then, um, and then after watching him, this YouTube used to do this, it would recommend other independent media, right? So then after we were watching Nico, it recommended Convo Couch. And that's how we found Convo Couch. And then eventually at one point, it recommended like Tim Black. That's how we found him. But other than those two, like I didn't see other uh, black commentators in this space. And I think over the years, what I've just kind of found is like, because back then at that time, um, Brie wasn't, Bree didn't have bad faith at that point. This was still during Bernie Sanders campaigns. So I think, you know, watching all that stuff and like a lot of the people in the space kind of like educated me a lot about obviously Bernie Sanders, of course, but um, just like some of the things that like mainstream media was doing wrong. Right. So they were calling those things out. And I was like, wow, I'm so glad I got introduced to left independent media but what I think what I found and also those of us that RBN found is that when it came to uh, black issues or issues that really affect the black community, they were not able to speak to those uh, that should have. And obviously they're not black and they don't have that experience. I also noticed it from a class perspective. And so for me, it was just kind of like, 
I see a lot of people speaking for working class people, but what they're saying isn't, isn't true. Uh, just like I told you guys last night and I told you guys, uh, earlier today on RBN, there's progressives telling people that canceling student loan closed the racial wealth gap. And I told you guys last night and today on RBN that that is actually false. But see, you wouldn't know that because there aren't many black people in the space to tell you that. In order for you to know that, you really got to go over to like Sandy Darity. And Sandy Darity, I don't think, has a YouTube show. So you would have to be following people that do research on reparations and things like that. And Sandy Darity has done a lot of research on this. You would have to follow people like Yvette Carnell. You would have to follow people like um, uh, Kim Brown. Kim Brown has talked about this as well. But again, those people, oftentimes, if you're watching left independent media, they are not recommended in the algorithm, regardless of how many subscribers they have. So I noticed, yeah, it was a lot of white men in this space basically leading the narrative. And I felt like when it came to class issues and when it came to issues for black people, they were not delivering the correct information. I don't expect them to know what it's like to be black. I totally get that. That's cool. Then bring on someone that does. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I always thought it was uh, hilarious. <laughs> like a long time ago, at least, TYT or Sam Cedar would say, oh, this is what the black community wants or needs. Or this is what the uh, Mexican-American community wants and needs. It's just very funny. Um, but so I had a question about what you said. So you said that um, uh, canceling student loan debt would not help the uh, uh, racial wealth gap, or it would? It does. It does not close the racial wealth gap at all. Oh, okay. I thought you said, so so it does not help? Uh, What you got to understand is like, because Nina Turner actually was was called out about this uh, by Sandy Darity on Twitter. And he said, why do you keep telling people these dubious facts? This is wrong. And he's the one who did the research. And he started doing research on this like way back in the 90s. Marianne Williamson actually knows this because when I interviewed her over a year ago, when she talked, we talked about reparations. She actually got her information and her data from Sandy Darity. And mm-hmm. she mentioned that, like, well, you got to go way back to find that interview on my channel. But the thing is, is this, I corrected Joe Biden on this on Twitter too. Cause Joe Biden said on Twitter, we just narrowed the racial wealth gap. No, they did not. Because the majority of African-Americans don't have student loan debt. That's what people don't understand. The majority of African-Americans didn't go to college. Yeah. So, yes, we have the largest amount of student loan debt. That is true. But the majority of African-Americans don't even have student loans because they didn't go to college. So even if you cancel all of student loan debt, that still does not close the racial wealth gap. The fastest way and the only way to close the racial wealth gap is through reparations. So. That's what people need to understand. So I've been hearing like white progressives and white commentators say this. That is not true. That is false. And what they need to do is bring on Sandy Darity or bring on Yvette Carnell and have them explain how this works. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, I'll look him up now because I've never even heard of him until right now. Yeah. I mean, and it is what it is. Like, you know, I don't expect them to know all of this stuff, but I think, 
<sighs> don't know something, just say you don't know, but you'll find out. Like, I've done that on my show multiple times. I told you guys, like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, I don't, if I'm not well-versed in something, I try to bring on someone that is. I'm not an expert when it comes to foreign policy. I, I can tell you a little bit. I'll give me about a B minus, but I would rather bring on someone like Max Blumenthal or bring on Garland Nixon because they know a lot more about it than I do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, speaking about foreign policy, like, like it feels like for uh, ma- ma- many years now, it's gotten like okay almost. To like, if you're not like, like if you if you really care about domestic policy, then like you don't really need to be interested or, or need to care almost about foreign policy like because because like on like i i i know somebody else said this before but like on ukraine it seemed like there's very little difference between like what uh cable news is saying and what people on like a, a lot of people on uh a youtube are saying it just seems strange like more people aren't interested in foreign policy that's unfortunate because global issues are american issues most of the time, these issues that are happening in other countries are because of the United States government. And I understand complex, like it's not always easy to talk about, I'll be honest, because you really have to know what you're talking about when you discuss those issues. But that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be focused on and we should ignore it. One of the things I really appreciated about Josana, Josana was from Brazil. And she really educated me a lot about what was going on in the global South, like things I I didn't know about these things were happening, you know? And so she educated me about that. I also recommend, you know, if you look at like pasta, well, pasta came on before and talked about the elections in Colombia, but pasta and like Fiorella, whether you agree with like their views or not, these are individuals that have actually gone on the ground internationally, and they've covered a lot of those issues in Peru, Colombia, Nicaragua, also Black Agenda Report. Um, Margaret Kimberly and Danny Haifong are really good with this as well. They Again, they travel to those locations and they cover those issues. I really wish they would get more exposure. Uh, Margaret Kimberly is freaking phenomenal. And I, I really wish like people would give her more exposure. I, I really, really do. Um, she should be in as much demand as someone like Chris Hedges. I'm just being honest. And um, so I usually like will go to to those people like for those issues. But even when it comes to foreign policy, there are certain people that are good with certain regions, right? Danny Haifong, if you want to know about like China, Danny Haifong is that's kind of like his thing. So I'll usually like go to him about that. Um, if you want to hear about the global South, like Franco covers, also Franco covers the global South as well. Uh, you could go to him about that. And then obviously Aramate knows a lot about Syria. Like, again, he was there. So it's like Richie Medhurst, don't sleep on him. He's another one that's really good. So I think everybody kind of has like their area that they're strong in. And I don't, try to I don't pretend to know something that I don't know but I just think it's really good just to bring those people on but uh we should definitely guys all of us should be paying attention to what's happening globally in the country excuse me globally in the world and not just what's happening uh in our country because the things that are happening abroad can affect us too Yeah, definitely. I I, I think uh, along with the people you listed, I think uh, Rania Kalak is great as well. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, you know, like I try to cover some of these issues, like uh, what happened in Sri Lanka, I think was especially important. I think people, Americans need to see that people in Sri Lanka are like, yeah, we're not putting up with this anymore. We're just going to kick the prime minister out of his house. Americans yeah, that was that. pretty incredible to see. Like, I'm sure if we try to do that, like, like there'd be snipers everywhere. And then like, I don't know, maybe, maybe cops start uh, shooting at us or whatever. Secret service. Or people need to see how people still, still to this day, are rising up in France. They're setting banks on fire in France. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I can't imagine that happening. That would be. It would, <laughs> it, it would like have to like, it would take something really incredible for like even like one percent of that to happen here. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure here, like if you would like touch a banker, then like you'd go a hundred years. Well, it's just like. I, you know, sometimes I think people have had enough because of everything that happened with the pandemic. And then sometimes I feel like, I don't know, I don't feel like we're really there yet to where people have really had enough to the point where they're like, look, we're just not going to put up with this anymore. Um, I guess the best way to go about it in the short term is through labor. I mean, a lot of people are fighting back to form like unions and things like that. Like we should definitely focus on those. I have been trying to cover those stories more, Um, but then the girl that came on tonight, I mean, she's tried to start a union at her Starbucks location and they fired her. So it's just like, you know, people need to hear about those issues. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I talk to a lot of people who don't watch independent media. They have no idea, like my friends, like they have no idea what's happening in Afghanistan. They don't know what's happening in Somalia. They don't understand that how the sanctions that the U.S. government has put on these countries is starving people. They have no idea unless I tell them. Yeah, like a long time ago, maybe like five, six years ago, I used to think that like, oh, sanctions are fine. Um, and, and I'm and dear friends think that we're in, we're in uh, Afghanistan because we're fighting for women's rights. They did until I explained to them what was actually going on. Yeah. Okay, thanks for talking to me. Thanks so much, Karthik. Okay, Brady, I'm going to bring you in. You're the next caller. What's up, Queen Sabrina? We were having an interesting conversation earlier today about affirmative action and how um, even though it's a good thing, um, we had to kind of philosophically admit that it was ethical racism so to say you know so that we're kind of fighting fire with fire and that essentially it was kind of like a little bit of a band-aid solution to a more systematic issue and what we really need to do is get to the root of the issue so my question to you would be how, how would you go about um executing the reparations what do you think would help black people as a group in a community the most um directly and quickly what, what do you feel systemic changes like you have to have systemic changes like yeah and i'm not opposed to giving black people a check because we were promised 40 acres and a mule yeah. so you would need that as well but you have to have the systemic change too you have to have yeah. the school systems the public education system actually that has to yeah. be improved because yes, I think you can't oh go one. ahead no you nailed it because um without um, without any affirmative action, if we were to kind of universalize the education system so that 
all the kids had a fair fighting chance, you would see in 18 years down the road that that kind of diversity kind of naturally emerge. You know, it would take a long time. We're talking like 20, 18, 20 years here. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You nailed it on the head. We need to reform education to the age of the internet, the age of information. Um, give these kids a real education at a pace they can they can really handle that um, kind of honors their intelligence. And at the same time, give them high quality organic food as much as they need. And don't make them work so much homework, not so much frivolous homework, you know. But yeah, really take care of the kids on a universal level. And um, really kind of give like a universal care package to all the kids. And you would see that diversity really start to emerge over the course of the years, you know. Right, Focus because it's, I like it. it starts in the school system. So you have to fix the public education system. I would like for everybody to have the same quality of education in this country, regardless of your zip code. There's no reason why someone who lives in a wealthy neighborhood is getting a better education than a kid that is living in a poor neighborhood. That's really, it's kind of messed up. It's kind of like you don't get to have a good education because you're poor. It's and so a why not the world? Why not the world as well? Are you familiar with the story of Aaron Swartz? I'm not. Oh, Sabrina, this is going to blow your mind. All right. So this is the kid who invented Wikipedia when he was like a teenager, right? He invented RSS signaling, which is what we use for texting. He invented uh, Creative Commons, which is similar to a copyright. This young man was responsible for getting Elizabeth Warren elected almost single-handedly, Right. And so he went to MIT, he was studying at MIT. This is a young genius, obviously. Studying at MIT, he got caught trying to download the MIT database of scholarly articles, and he was gonna release them for free to the entire internet, which would have made the general equivalent of an MIT uh, education available to kids in Africa and all over the world. Anyone would be able to tap in and get the general equivalent of an MIT education overnight. But he got caught. Um, and while he was waiting for his court date, um, he committed suicide, um, and was brushed under the rug of history and not that many people know his name, but I feel like his name is so important. And so in his honor, and then I'm going to pass the mic, I'm going to drop a link to the documentary about him in the comments, and then I'll pass the mic to Teresa. Awesome. Um, I would also say land also needs to be added to reparations because, again, we were promised 40 acres and a mule, did not get that. Uh, land is valuable. Um, so I think it's important also healthcare. You have to change the healthcare system. Uh, there's a lot of people in this country that suffer from medical debt, uh, particularly a lot of Black people that suffer from medical debt or don't have health insurance. So, again, I keep telling people we really do for all type system. So that would need to be changed. You would have to change the criminal justice system. And I don't mean reform because we already have reform for the criminal justice system and reform isn't working. Body cams don't work. They turn them off. The dash cams don't work. There's uh, still qualified immunity. Qualified immunity would have to go. And I really would like to see the police officers to look like the communities that they are policing in. And that is very important. There have been a number of times when I visited my family in Baltimore and all the officers that are coming into the neighborhood are white and don't live there. That's not cool. 
I feel like if you're policing that neighborhood, you need to live in that neighborhood. You need to know the people. You need to understand the community that you are policing. They actually do this in education in some of the schools in Boston. Like, for example, in order to teach in Boston public schools, you're really supposed to be living in Boston. So I think there's a reason for that, right? But I think you're sending people in there. They don't know the community. They don't understand what's going on. They don't know the people. And so they overreact to every little thing that can usually sometimes be a nothing, right? So I would like to see that. That would need to change. Like, ideally, I would like to abolish the police. I really don't like police, the policing system in this country. I think it's very racist. I think that they target Black people. I've seen them target Black people. And there's a lot of problems with that. But with reparations, there's a lot of things to look at. I'm going to go ahead and bring you in, uh, Teresa. Oh, Teresa, I think you have to unmute. Yeah, well, oh, I did. Teresa, okay, yeah, I go. agree with uh, um, you, Savs. Uh, and uh, go ahead, Teresa. Oh, okay. Um, I just wanted to say, uh, in answer to what you just said about the police in Baltimore, I'm in Baltimore. Um, and I'm going to bring up, I'm going to tie this together with Joe Rogan. Uh, he had officer, I think his name was Michael Wood on his show a few years ago, and he spilled the tea on the Baltimore City Police Department and all of a lot of their underhanded uh, policies and how they uh, treated people. And you could really see how systemic it was. They had to meet quotas. He was in the Park Heights area, and he would go to, um, I mean, well, he was in Mount Washington, which is, is adjacent to Park Heights. And that's where a lot of... Um, judges and lawyers and professionals lived. And in order to meet his quota, he had to go to the Park Heights area, which is more African-American, in order to meet his quota because he could not arrest people in Mount Washington without getting into trouble. And I thought that was really just mind-blowing. Is that the same, Teresa, real quick, is that the same guy? I think I may have seen this one. Is that the same guy that said that I think they did a documentary with him oh, where really? he said, I think so. White guy? Yes. Yes. I think I saw a documentary with him where he was discussing how you don't have to have a reason to arrest someone. I think that's wow. the same guy. How he was talking about, yeah, you have to go, you have to have the quota. And he yes. was in Baltimore. I remember that. Yep. Yes. And so it was really, um, it's really, it would be very illuminating for a lot of people. Um, but, and I was just wanted to also shout out because you mentioned Yvette Carnell, you mentioned Sandy Darity, and that was very exciting for me. People really need to, uh, plug into that. I set a phone bind for Bernie Sanders. I, I hope I have the year right in 2016 and the next election, they tapped me to do that again. And I refused to do it. And I let them know is because of Bernie Sanders position on reparations. So I think it's important to let them know why you are not going to, you know, play to their music um, so that they understand how important it is and they can start noting how it affects them. Um, I tried to, I, Teresa, I can't tell you how many times I tried to tell people, especially when he was running in 2020, I tried to mm -hmm. tell people that Bernie Sanders should have had a reparations plan, that that was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was really shocking to me. And I'm also 
wanted to say that even um, Professor, is it Richard Wolf? I would follow him for a while. I know that I think he was, was I saw him on something, I think it was on here, on your show recently. And um, I think I've got his name correct. But I think I did some back and forth in his YouTube comments about reparations. And I, I don't think that he has uh, uh, the same position that we have on reparations. So was, I, I'm shocked, mm-hmm. I'm shocked at who, at these these people, and they just don't get it. They don't get it. Um, I've I've been trying to get Professor Wolf to come back on. He was on last year. I've been trying to get him to come back on to talk to him about modern monetary theory, MMT, and about reparations. Hmm. Because, yeah, yeah, I I don't understand why he disagrees with that. Mm -hmm. But again, like like I was telling people, you got to look at who is in these spaces. Like the left is led by these academic elite individuals. Yes, yes. Speaking of education, there used to be a podcast call, called um, School Sucks Podcast, and they talked about something called the Trivium and the Quadrivium. Um, it's um, a system of education. I think it's used in debate also, where you use your critical thinking to see different fallacies that are in people's arguments. I think that that's something the entire American public needs to be schooled in. And uh, especially if you're watching any kind of mainstream television. Um, yes, things like that. They, it's not just um, the basics that, that we normally would get in school, but I think what's being given in private education. And, and I think that we need more things like that to help people be able to be independent agents, to feel empowered, and to stand on their own against some of these ridiculous arguments that they'll be coming up against um, and will be needing to defend our position. So just wanted to say that. <laughs> Thanks so much, Teresa. Um, I'm going to bring in Roger Meadows and uh, Case. Uh, I didn't know if you wanted to comment. No, I uh... I totally agree on the elevator right now, so I don't know if you can hear me well, but I I totally agree with everything <laughs> that uh, she said. Yep. Okay, Roger. Hey, how you doing, Savvy? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Um, one, thank you for bringing Jocelyn on. I'm I'm going to try to get her on um some other shows as well. Um, I'm I'm hitting up Ron. <laughs> Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, daily reminder, 1534 Tremont Street. Um, third thing. So going back to like the whole thing with the division on the left and so on and so forth. Like I said, this a lot of this comes from the cele- the celebration. All right, let me just see if I can pronounce this. The celebritization of YouTube hosts and politicians, that was the precursor that led the divide to this. You see what I'm saying? Like, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I said, we have to stop elevating, um, um, you know, people who have a show on YouTube and, and what do you call it? And, um, and politicians to celebrity status, because we've been down that road before. We got disappointed with Obama. Then we got, we celebritized him. We got disappointed. We celebritized Bernie, disappointed. We celebritized AOC and the squad, got disappointed. 
we celebritized um, people who had shows on YouTube. And before you know it, it there was you no, know, there was a, a division, and you know, people was going at this one and that one because this one was back in this politician, and they was ripping on the other person's politician, and so on and so forth. We don't even realize we're we're running a protection racket unknowingly for these politicians and for our favorite YouTube hosts. That's the reason why I'm saying we have to stop looking to them as we are the leaders. That person you see in the, in the mirror every day, that's your leader right there. I would, I could tell just regular people, Jocelyn, leader, uh, remember a while ago, I told you, um, was it Ryan Madden, leader? You don't know who he is because he's just a regular person. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you about how we were successful at getting um, LIPA, Long Island Power Authority, to municipalize. Okay. That was this, this guy activist thing, you know, Ryan Madden. He's just a regular person, whatever the case is just a regular person in the community and was able to get, I mean, not just him, but you no, know, Charles Neves also just a regular person was able to get Long Island Power Authority to municipalize the entire uh, uh, Long Island outside of New York City, plus Far Rockaway, leader. You feel what I'm saying? We, the regular people, us, the listeners, it's a po- we are the ones that are supposed to be the leaders and YouTube hosts report on what we do. YouTube hosts are follow what we do. We're supposed to, the politicians, they're supposed to be leaders, but we go, are going to have to show them how to lead. And, you know, and you know what they do. They start a parade. They see a parade that's already going down the street. Now they want to jump in front of it. Oh, I was with you guys all along. Hey, okay, well, you know, we know you're bullshit, but okay, fine. You're, you're with us now, whatever the case is. Um. Speaking of parade, I didn't. I I remembered that I didn't get a chance to finish my uh, thought last night when I was presenting this to uh, Lucy. So if anybody is in New York um, on uh, Labor Day, okay, we are going to be having. We're going to be talking to like before the Labor Day parade starts. We're going to be talking to union members to try to get them on board for the New York Health Act, okay? As of right now, the biggest impediment to the New York Health Act getting passed is the United Federation of Teachers and District Council 37, um, which is a branch of AFSCME, um, because because the thing is, the main our, our issue is not really our obstacle is not really um, the private health insurance companies. They're just sitting back and letting like union leadership do all the work. But union leadership has, what do you call that thing? They have, um, they own stock in private healthcare and they make bank selling private healthcare to their members. So their members are only getting one side of it. They're getting the propagandized version of what the union leaders are going to, you know, are telling them. So at 9 a.m. Labor Day at the corner of 5th and 44th, before the parade starts at 11 a.m., 
we're going to be, you know, talking to, you know, uh, union members there to educate them about the New York Health Act, how it's paid for, how it could be, you know, whatever the case is. So if anyone in, in the sound of my voice lives in New York, come on down, pretty much. Um, you can go to, you could Google campaign for New York Health if you want to know more about it, pretty much. But it's pretty much a state version of Medicare for All. Um, so, yeah, so there's that, you know, one thing. Also, uh, the other thing is um, regarding the vaccines, um, you know, an inconvenient truth that was never told how they how they would try to how the media or the narrative was, oh, you know, you're, you're a Trump person if you decide not to get seen and all that different type of stuff. But they neglected to tell people that the biggest population that was, well, at least maybe not the biggest, but one of the biggest pop population that was vaccine hesitant. You, you know who it was, uh, Sabrina? Black people. Ah, there you go. That's and right. Why is, that? why is that? Why were we Be so hesitant? Because of things that have happened in the past with experimental vaccines with black people. There you go. And no one never told. I mean, I'm pretty sure like you talked about it, but, you know, like it wasn't really put out there like that. You Jimmy I mean? talked about it. Uh, Jimmy talked about it in a segment. He was talking right. about that one time. Yeah. 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 And then and then check this out during during the lockdowns when I was driving in New York City and every time it was seven o'clock and the essential workers would come out of the hospitals, they'd be banging pots and pans and all different types of stuff. And then um, Governor Kathy Hochul, you know, she takes over once, you know, Cuomo's, Cuomo's ran out of there, thank God. And then she coerces them into uh, doing a vaccine mandate. You know, she was doing a vaccine mandate. Now the nurses, a lot of nurses ended up like, nah, I'm not going through with that. And you got to say to yourself, if the nurses are not taking it, <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to be, it's, you know, it's kind of like where, you know how like um, Bill Gates and all these people won't let their children on social media, whatever the case is, but they want everyone else's children to go on social media. You know, you have, just like how you have to ask the question, if they're not allowing their kids on social media, what the hell's wrong with social media or whatever? Same thing here. If the right. nurses are not, if the nurses are not taking it, uh, you should be like, hey, what do you know? Okay. So now, um, she is trying to she she's an um arsonist because what I mean by that is she completely devastated the healthcare workforce and then wait months later and say, hey, we got to build our healthcare workforce. You know, we're short. We got to build our healthcare workforce. I was like, you started it. Matter of fact, why don't you just hire all the people that you fired or let go back with back pay? I heard there's a lawsuit about that, that a lot of them are, are, are who were fired or coerced or whatever are, you know, uh, filing in New York State Court or whatever the case is. Um, but um, when regarding the foreign policy stuff, it's, it's definitely important. But um, you you always have to remember we we sometimes like you have to we have to who we we have to who are in the know who who follow this stuff all the time we have to take our self out of it and put ourselves in the mind of a person who does not pay attention to politics you know what I mean I I always try to try to do that 
you know, every once in a while, especially when I talk to people and, and try to, um, you know, try to take myself out of it because, you know, I ask people, hey, do you know that there's an election? You know, hey, do you know this or do you know that or whatever? Um, to be honest with you, I didn't know, like, for instance, me personally, I didn't know that there was a such thing as a term until I was 36 years old. <laughs> a lot I mean? of people don't know. Yeah, a lot of people don't know about midterms or primaries. Most people just vote in the presidential election. That's it. Yeah, there has to be voter education also. Because I understand that Pasta and Fiorella doesn't like mail-in voting. But voting for the first time, I thought it was like the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know why? Because when I got that ballot in the mail, right, I said, I wish I had something like this when I was 18 years old. Because, you know, like when you vote for the first time, you're like thinking, oh, the stuff that you see on TV, you know, the president, you know, maybe a U.S. senator, maybe a congressperson, you know, maybe a governor. But then you get there. Think of, think about it when you first voted. You're like, hey, what the hell is a receiver of taxes? What the hell? I'm voting for a judge. I don't know any of these people. Town supervisor. Who the hell are these people? County executive, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It's like, what in the world? And meanwhile, people are like, come on, yep. just vote D all the way down. We ain't got no time yep. for this. Come on, let's vote. And you feel that pressure, <laughs> and you're like, oh, fine, D D D D D D D D, or you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. all you are thrown at is is that, right? And you're like, I have no idea who the. First of all, not only do I not know who these people are, but I didn't. I had no idea that these positions ex- existed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. You, you know, you're 18. You just know about, oh, the president, you know, maybe a governor. Or this two. Is, but you know what, Roger, this is what I've been telling people for a while. Like most people I've spoken to don't even know who their city councilors are. They don't know. Yeah. And I can, and, and, and I, and I could, um, kind of, also, um, we need to, and again, my state by state strategy, when you're in school and you learn civic, they tell you about the federal government. But there should be emphasis on learning about how state government works Uh and local, especially local. Local affects you the most and it gets the less advertising. But there should be an emphasis on state civics. Okay, I did not know anything. There was this guy who was always asking for my vote through the 90s and up to the uh, this. This was my introduction to state politics. Throughout the 90s, there's some, there was some guy who kept asking for my vote every two years named Senator Camp Hannon. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? My senators are, at the time, just going through the 90s, my senators was Patrick Moynihan and Al D'Amato. Who the hell is this guy? And then as years went by, who the hell did Camp Hannon keep asking for my vote? My, my senators are uh, Hillary Clinton and Al D'Amato. Oh, no, sorry, um, Hillary Clinton and, and, and Chuck, you know? And then... Uh, Chuck and 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 Kirsten Gillibrand, you know what I mean? I'm like, until one day, um, a guy who you know, like, I'm still cool with today. I, I um, I got in contact with him through someone else, and he said, um, he told me, uh, that's your state senator. He is the head of the health committee, and we're protesting him. This is in 2017. We're protesting him outside of his office. You should come through because he is he has locked up the New York Health Act in committee because at the time, Republicans controlled the Senate. And let me just give a brief history, just real quick, a brief history about politics in New York State. 
Everyone thinks that we're this big blue state, but we only just became blue in 2018. And what I mean by that is there was a deal or something between both parties where, where Democrats always controlled the New York State Assembly and Republicans always controlled the New York State Senate. Before Obama was elected, the last time Democrats held both chambers was in the 1960s for less than one year. Okay? Because I guess they just gerrymandered <laughs> to, to their advantage and their perspective house, you know, chamber or whatever the case is. Obama gets elected. Democrats take over the New York State Senate, but a whole bunch of them went to prison because they was doing corrupt shit. And then Cuomo comes in and he makes this this breakaway group of Senate Democrats uh, join with Republicans to give Republicans back to the uh, to give the Senate New York State Senate back to Republicans. They was called the IDC or whatever the case is. It wasn't until 2018 when you know, like, if you saw that little beef going when Ramos and all and Biagi, all these other people came in to beat those Democrats who went to Albany legislating as Republicans, come back to the districts pretending to be Democrats. That's what that whole, that, you know, you remember that was when Cynthia Nixon was running and AOC was running and all that different type of stuff. And um, a lot of people don't know, if you remember the beef just brief, briefly about a month ago when Senator Ramos was beefing with, with AOC saying we're in the district or whatever the case is and everyone jumped oh, yeah. on that. I remember that. Well, that was on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, I don't know if you know this, they share the same office. So she knows if she's, how often she's there. That's they're awkward. In, they're in the same, like, you know, like, oh, her office, just walk, just walk a little bit down there. Her office is over there. It's, it's like, like that. They're in the same thing. You see what I'm saying? Um, but just going, oh yeah. So when I got the um, ballot in the mail, because it was the greatest thing, because I said, I wish I had this when I was 18 years old with an internet. Because now, Hey, when do I got on this ballot in? Oh, about two weeks. Okay, good. I got time. It gave me the time to research every single one of those judges, every single one of the town council pool. I could relax. I wasn't put under that intense anxiety and pressure to be like, hurry up, hurry up, vote, vote, vote. You're holding up the line. You see what I'm saying? And something, and just talking about judges, for instance, I think the the new litmus test that we need to have for judges. And I don't know why when it comes to uh, federal judges, we should also get the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee and us when we are looking to vote for judges at the lower level. The litmus test should be asking them, do you think, do you agree with the uh, 1976 Supreme Court decision of Buckley versus Vallejo when they said that money is speech. Do you think that was decided the right way? Ask them the same question of the 1978 um, uh, Attorney General uh, of Massachusetts, Francis Bellotti versus the First National Bank of Boston that, oh said, that said that money, uh, that corporations are people. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you yep. agree with that decision? Okay. Because the, the reason why that had came about was um, Massachusetts voters in 1977, whatever the case is, had put a ballot initiative that passed that said corporations cannot finance ballot measures. 
Mm-hmm. And because of SCOTUS' decision two years before with Buckley versus Vallejo, the First National Bank of Boston had a beef with that. And they said, oh, well, if money is speech and people generate money, well, we generate money as a corporation. So we're people too. Okay. So that's how it got struck. You know, that's how it got struck down. So when people talk about Citizens United, like, oh, it's a new thing. No, that was just following presidents. You see what I'm saying? So I'm just saying when we interview judges, we should, those are the only, to me, that that's the only thing that matters. Do you believe that that's, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, what it is or whatever the case is, right? Um, also with the foreign policy, I was just going to say that people don't have, um, it's important, but you have to understand when your basic needs are not met, people don't have the bandwidth to deal with foreign policy and what's going on in the other country. They, they know that, hey, my water is messed up. I have no infrastructure. Uh, you know, like my paycheck is, is was it the rent is too damn high and the paychecks are too damn low. You know what I mean? I, I have no health care. You know what I mean? So it, it's hard to get people into, you know, the foreign policy thinking. You know what I mean? Because they're, when their basic needs are just not, you know, being met. So you have to... Um, you know, you, you have to keep that in mind, you know what I'm saying? And again, it's just putting your, your get it, having an out-of-body experience and putting yourself in the mind of, of someone who's not in the know, just someone who's living their life on a regular, everyday basis. By the way, Margaret, Margaret Kimberly has a show on 99.5 WBAI. Um, it's a public radio station in New York City. It, it, yeah, it, someone it, was telling me that. You know, you could go to, listen, you can listen to it. Just go on in and that Google 99.5 WBAI and they have, and you go to the archives. You could either filter it. You know what I'm saying? And you just go to the archives and it just shows you the schedules and you can listen to past shows. You know what I mean? So, you know, you, you could, you could listen to it. There's, there's some other people. I think, I, I think Chris Hedges has a show on there. Oh, no, he no, is. No. Yeah, he's on oh. there too. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Cool. 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 Also, regarding reparations, um, reparations is lineage based. It's not race based. It's it's based on lineage, um, because it it deals with those of us who were whose ancestors were enslaved here in America. Um, if you were to take it, if you were to use it as as like as as far as talking about the you know, uh, uh, taking it as a case to court, you would lose if you based it on race because they would use the, the 14th Amendment against you because, you know, you're saying that, oh, this entire race is is, is afforded this, where you, right. it has to be, um, right, it has to show, like, for instance, just like reparations with the people of Oklahoma, was it Tulsa? Right. Like I wouldn't get that because simply because I'm black, I would get it. I was a descendant of, you know, what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So it's just important that because I know someone last week was asking was he was he wasn't sure how you would, you know, uh, uh, do reparations. He was talking about uh, uh, would it be based on like what color you are or something like that. He was saying I forgot. It was like last Wednesday when he was doing the three jank. Thing, he was he was being yeah no Roger he was being kind of a smart ass 
I, I know I, what he was trying what? to do. You know, I, come on. Yeah, go ahead. Come on, he he was being kind of a smart ass. He was like, oh, just because your skin is a different shade, and did it. I was like, this guy's being a smart ass. That's why I, I, I cut him off the way that I did. But you know what? It's not even just it's not just about like descendants of slavery, though. Reparations, in my opinion, should also include people who went through Jim Crow. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course, of course. Um so it would yeah, it would it would pretty it would pretty much just be those whose descendants were here all the way through, you know, Jim Crow, through 20th century Jim Crow. Because you have to also take a look at um, well, you, I think you was doing the uh, I think it was you that was doing the you know the 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 brother with the with the hat the farmer, who was getting screwed by uh, Biden. He was he was uh, he was doing something with farmland. Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. So he was um, he talks about you know a lot of our land got you know got got uh, taken away from us especially when um, President Johnson, not LBJ Johnson, but uh, Andrew Johnson took over when his predecessor Lincoln was a second. Okay. So he took, he took like the land that was being granted to us. He took it away and gave it to give it, gave it to the former slaveholders, you know, during the Homestead Act. Um, If you ever took a look, if you remember that show, Little House on the Prairie back in the seventies and, 80s whatever the case was the don't person, remind me the person my mom my mom loved that show yeah i know my, my parents loved it too but you know what do not kill me for this because i did not know when i was a kid and it was all of the all of the black kids in the neighborhood okay we loved the dukes of hazard and the general lee and we did not know what the hell we got older we was like we saying to our parents come in and tell us about that we, we figured you'd figure it out but anyway cancel um, you cancel roger you gotta cancel all the black kids in the neighborhood who was watching dukes of hazard at that time he's like oh shit yeah the general lee we had no idea and our parents, who was from the South, didn't even tell us. So, yeah, you, we figured you'd figure it out. <laughs> but um, no, the woman who wrote the uh, thing, the Little House on the Prairie or whatever the case was, because that, that was written way back in the 19th century. No, 18th century, something like that, in the 1900s. That was based on the Homestead Act of, you know what I'm saying? Of uh, uh, Instead of giving reparations to former slaveholders, they gave it to, I mean, instead of to former uh, slaves, they gave it to slaveholders. You see what I'm saying? So, um, but also, um, the Dr. Sandy Darity, if anybody wants to know, you can read his book, um, From Here to Equality. He, he talks about all of that. You know what I mean? Um, if you want to know anything about him, cases, not to mention um, Dr. Derek Hamilton as well. He, he, he talks about it, you know. Um, yeah, that, I'm going to try to see if I get Sandy Darity on. Yeah. I'm gonna I try. Mean, he's he's busy. He's hard to get. Yeah. Um. Because I think that every non-black person thinks that every black person is an expert on reparations, and we're really not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is you know not. It's better just you know what. Just go read that guy's book. You know what I mean? Um. Also. Um. So yes. So Sabrina. So here's the thing. You was talking about the cops before. 
Uh, let me tell you something. A lot of these black cops are worse than these white cops. And it doesn't get talked about too much. Okay. No, I've, I've, I've talked about it before too. I said a lot of the black cops are blue first and black second. They back the police force. Yes. They're part of the and, same problem. You remember the movie Boys in the Hood? Ah, I knew he was going to say that. Yeah, yep. well, John Singleton, for people who don't yep. know, John Singleton made Boys in the Hood, but he based it off of his own experiences. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Was, uh, but you also remember this. The, uh, a couple, a few weeks ago, you was, um, say, you was singing the KRS-One song, um, Sound of the Police, but on that same album, Returning the Boom Back, he also had that song, Black Cop. Black Cop, Black Cop, Black Cop. It's your team, Black people, you know, I want to stop. You don't even get paid a whole lot. I know he had, that was on there too. Also, he was talking about you know, uh, you know, black cop or whatever. And last but not least, yeah, Professor Richard Wolf. He's not on board for reparations. His excuse was, you know, like take it, take it however you know, you take it or leave it or whatever. But he was concerned that the white backlash that would happen would uh, be terrible for black people. So, Jewish people I, got reparations. Were they concerned about that then? Yeah, Jewish people also white though. So that's I true. Mean, but, but you, but you know what I'm saying? Japanese, like Jewish people, yeah. like my friends. Go ahead. Huh? The Japanese also got reparations. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Oh, like my my friends that are Jewish. Do you guys know that? Like my friends that are Jewish, they had this thing called um their birthright and they could travel to israel this was all free to do their birthright we don't get to travel to africa for free mm-hmm. i hear you mm-hmm. i feel you you know um yeah no 100 percent. can i can i throw a wrench real quick in the conversation because i just saw that um new york 10 was trending and i was like what's what's going on here and it looks like in district 10 remember where that conservative um guy dan won yeah exactly dan goldman won over because all the progressives didn't consolidate well it looks like i think they're courting yulene to run as a working families party party. that would be very interesting if she runs because she could definitely consolidate the progressives and beat dan goldman because and that would be super embarrassing for the establishment democrats dan goldman i believe he was on like morning joe or something and you know they probably already thought he won so that would be what you guys think about that oh yeah he was he was already celebrating um he I don't know. Working Families Party has not been doing too well. Because I remember um, Imani Oakley, she mm-hmm. she came yep. out on Twitter about her experience mm-hmm. with Working Families Party, how they were endorsing, and not just her, but also uh, Christine Olivio called them out and yeah. said that they were out here endorsing corporate Democrats over the progressive Democrats. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I remember when that happened. And I believe she worked for the Working Families Party, too. And I, I totally agree with you. They they act and remember when they um the working file uh, endorsed Bernie and then the like the so called like almost like super delegates they overrode their own members and say no we're giving the endorsement to Elizabeth Warren. So they they become like an establishment progressive I guess if that's even a term kind of organization similar probably to Justice Democrats um 
and um, our revolution has gone the pragmatic, quote unquote, pragmatic, progressive, quote unquote, unquote way, which is very unfortunate. Um, but I would still, if if they can use their ballot line, use fusion voting, they could put you lean on there and potentially overrun uh, Dan. That, that would be, I think, very embarrassing to the establishment. And it will almost be similar to when um, the established Democrat want, ran a writing campaign against, um, uh, man, India Walton when she ran for Buffalo, mayor of Buffalo. So this will be like the reverse of that situation. Very. Yeah, they did, uh, you know, they did India Walton wrong. Yeah. Like, um, 100%. You know, that's another one. I need to see if she can come on because she, mm-hmm. India Walton, left the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw she was with Bree recently. And uh, Rogers, real quick, much love to you, man. I told my pops, who lives in, like I told you, Nassau since we last chat, um, that, hey, in 2025, I think you said there's going to be municipal power. So he was excited about that. Go ahead, Savage. That's, that's cool. Um, let me tell you something about, um, I met Yulina a, a few times. Um, so she was probably the only candidate in that race that got attacked for supporting Palestinians. And they were saying, oh, she's anti-Semitic, blah, blah, blah. Even with that, she still almost won, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't know that, but she, she, mm-hmm. she didn't do that whole thing of, uh, you know, like, oh, I, you know, I'm not for, for BDS. Yeah. In the debates, I clipped that, that they ask her specifically when, when you, you know, that when the moderators ask one person's clear question that that person is for that and everybody, they didn't ask that to anybody else. So everybody else was against BDS while they asked her like, Hey, um, why are you for BDS? And she was like, Hey, I'm for freedom of speech. And she, she said she's um, for the Israel people, which I think we're all for the Israel people, but we're against the Israel government suppressing the Palestinians. You know, that's what her point was, Roger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I agree yeah. with you. I, I give her credit for not backing down because even Bernie Sanders um, didn't is not for BDS. <laughs> Yeah, he's Jewish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Roger. I, I do want to get Schnarf before I head out. No problem. Yeah, much love, Rogers. Much love, man. You too. See ya. All right, Schnarf, you are the last, you're going to be the last caller, so what's up? I won't up? take too long, Savvy. I had a couple, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to get too saucy. Um, There was a couple callers back, and there, there was a reference that was made to affirmative action being ethical racism, right? So one, the caller doesn't even work, doesn't actually have a job, doesn't actually live in within the confines of of regular working conditions of people. Most likely he's a trust fund baby. You know what I mean? And for him to turn around and say that, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna, you know, keep my mouth shut about it. I think that doesn't make any sense. But what's even worse is why is it that we allow him to even say that? Right? But then we turn around and we talk about like we should abolish the police. What, People what are like this aren't allies. People, it's that Brady guy, for example, right? He turns around and he's he in the middle of the conversation. He says that affirmative action is ethical racism, right? So equalizing a, a, a workplace that's already decimated with with inequality is ethical racism. 
I don't think we should let him get away with that. I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Wait, when did he say that? I'm confused. Hold on. In the beginning of his call, in the beginning of his call, it went something like this. He said, uh, a few of us were having a discussion about affirmative action, and we agreed that it was ethical racism. Maybe you missed that part, which we probably did. But the fact that someone can approach the current situation with people working and getting less pay for the same job and still having inequality in the workplace, that doesn't, that doesn't set well with me. This is interesting. I don't know. We need to I mean, talk to Brady. I don't know what he meant by that. I'm confused. Well, I'm going to go be drunk somewhere else because I don't want to get out of character. So, but I'm saying like, and the other thing that we should add into the whole reparations discussion is that slaveholders also got reparations, which makes it even worse. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right. Well, here's Brady. So Snarf, I'm going to make you a, uh, I'm going to make you a speak. I hope you gone. Okay. Uh, Brady. Okay, hey, Snarf, I made you a speaker, so we can go ahead and hash this out. Happy okay, clarify, so Brady, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, can you clarify that? Yeah, you know, like, um, I think it was um, affirmative action would be um, hiring or selecting people to become part of a group based on, like, their skin or their religion or some other kind of quality about them, like singling out um, someone like that. And just, I was just... Um, suggesting that we do remain philosophically consistent when we're having these conversations so that we don't come across as like we're not actually trying to solve the problem like we're actually just trying to score some points you know what i mean but like we have to have the difficult conversations like admitting that um, affirmative action is by definition racist like if you're gonna define racism as um treating somebody based on their skin color which I think is a fair definition and that's what affirmative action is. But we have, we understand that it's, it's, it's like fighting fire with fire uh, and that is being done ethically as a way to repair some past damage that has been done to a group. But we have to just philosophically admit that, yeah, it's racist, but we're fighting fire with fire here. And this is a bandaid solution, a temporary bandaid that we're doing until we find a way to systemically fix the entire system. You know what I mean? There's a band-aid that's, solution. That's, uh, okay, so here's the definition of affirmative action. Affirmative action refers to a set of policies and practices within a government or organization seeking to include particular groups based on their gender, race, sexuality, creed, or nationality in areas in which they are underrepresented, such as education and employment. So affirmative, affirmative action is not just about race. No, not at all. It can be about anything. And and the, the fact is that while it is discriminatory, it's ethically discriminatory, if that makes sense. Um, just like how maybe women need to have like a women's restroom. That's a little discriminatory, but like they need a place to, you know, feel safe while they take care of themselves. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of things we do that are discriminatory on an, on an ethical basis. And but but do you I understand why affirmative action exists? Yes, absolutely. To repair the damage that was done, like you said, um, when we denied people 
their mule and some land uh, and after, no. World War, after, after they fought in World War II, you know, in slavery, slavery, you know. No, great, no, uh, that's that's I'm not why affirmative ahead. action exists. Affirmative action exists because you had companies and schools that were not hiring people that were different. There were companies that were not hiring people just because they were black or not hiring people just because they were women. There were colleges that were not admitting students just because they were black or just because they were women. That is why affirmative action is in place, not because of slavery. Not only that, but racism is exclusion, exclusionary while um, affirmative action is inclusionary, according to exactly what Sabs just read. It's include is making sure that these people yeah, um, are included. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I said maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about that. The way I said that, maybe maybe I'm the one that's confused. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to understand that, that when yeah. it, when it comes to you know racism, there is a power dynamic, and black people don't have power. Oh, I in this country, that, I disagree with that. There's it's very capable what? for a poor person to be racist against someone who has more power than them. I mean, I'm this is a, a clear possibility, you know. Well, no, 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 no. Uh, 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 African American, African Americans do not Obama have. Example. Obama has no. way more power than these Donald worshippers do, but they're racist. No, him, you know, like no, Brady. I think you're singling out individual people as a group. No, Brady. First of all, Obama is biracial, for one. Second of all, African-Americans as a group do not have any type of power in this country. That's not true. That's not true. You can't say they no, don't have any type of power Brady, in this country. Brady, Brady, like, are you seriously sitting here about to tell an African-American woman what we have? Well, Sabrina, Black you people, said that African people don't have any kind of serious power in this country. You're wrong about that. Well, you know, I didn't I'm, say I'm African people. Yeah. I African said African-Americans. Americans. Those are two yeah. different people. Those two different groups. Yeah, Let's be clear right here. Right African-Americans do not control any type of power structure in this country. I have Ooh, gone over this multiple. Ooh, let me finish. I have gone over this multiple times on my show. The education system in this country is based on white supremacy. The criminal justice system yeah. in this country is based on white supremacy. Yeah. We do not have any power in this country but because the systems are all controlled by white supremacy. Do you understand? Now, I understand where you're coming from, but I'm going to push back a little bit just to say that you do have power against us crazy white people. Like, don't I, I, I don't like the idea that black people don't have power just because – just because y'all are fighting an uphill, uphill battle does not mean that you are powerless by any means at all. This is just a failure of imagination, you know? Um, uh, no, Brady, you in the wrong here, hon. Let's talk about who, be, owns, who owns what here. Uh-huh. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this for a second. Yeah. So look at something like the NBA. Right. The majority right. of the NBA is black players, right? Who owns right. the teams? If you look at something like the NFL, who owns the teams? Ah, Who owns the point. colleges? Who owns the point, universities? Brady. Who that's owns the point. companies, Brady? No, no, point. you don't understand. If but, but we look, had power in this country, will we constantly be gunned down, unarmed by the police? If we look, had power in this country, if we had power, if we had power in the country, would we constantly 
have to sit up here and have these sentencings in the courtroom where we could have the same crime and no priors as a white person, but the white person gets less time than we do. We don't control anything, Brady. We don't own shit. Here's the thing is that people shouldn't be getting any time for cannabis charges, you know, across the Nobody board. mentioned anything about cannabis, Brady. You're looking at individual examples. Yeah. We're talking about an actual systemic structure in the country. That's yeah, the so problem. No doubt that this is a racist country with a racist structure. There's no argument about that. Um, Snarf, so I, you, Snarf and case study, you want to jump in here. Can I chime in for one second and I'll, I'll let you guys continue. So what, what I think is interesting is this, is that people put their foot in their mouth. Then they do a self-deprecating dance and afterwards everything's supposed to be okay. But the bottom line here is, is that if we look at people who, who do the same routine, which is they, they deviate the conversation away from a material one to one about cannabis and mushrooms and, and psychedelic drugs, and, and they, they suck the oxygen out of the room. All they're doing is doing harm to the actual progress and to figuring things out. Now, that's my personal opinion, but what I think it is is that these kind of these, these pseudo-hippie people, what they are, are eco-fascists. That's all it is. There's nothing else to it. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree, but I'm saying at, at a certain point when we recognize a person coming out with these very small attributes in their, in their, in their message, we should recognize them for what they are. So what am I? Am I racist? Do I hate black people because no, I'm questioning your narrative? Black no, you're a person that sucks the air out of the uh, out of the conversation when it has a material purpose. Because deep down inside, all you are is a trust fund baby with the same ideas that 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 created the system that exists now. The only difference is that you have a different totem you right worship. Like, with, I understand you're angry, but your mental theory is so off base right now that it's, it's not even funny. Look, you're drunk for one. And you're angry and you're pissed off, but look, you guys are falling victim to exactly what. They right, want I'm, to I'm do an to irrational. I'm an irrational person. I have no concept of logic. I'm not done talking, bro. My point's not over. You're gonna have That's to right. talk over me. No problem. Dude, don't be talking over people, dude. I'm making exactly. a point. Exactly. Tell me, My tell me what I'm supposed to do. Victim to the Cambridge Analytica divide and conquer tactics. And here we go again. Second talking point. All right, you go ahead. All right. So my point is that this is exactly what Cambridge Analytica and the FBI want us to be doing right now is arguing with each other over our skin color and our genitals instead of working together to come to actual solutions. What I was trying to do earlier was trying to find a way to make real real reparations happen. I was trying to help Sabrina find a way to strategize to make reparations happen. We talked about reforming education. I brought up the story of Andrew Schwartz that not a lot of people are familiar with on the left. It's an important story. It has everything to do with what we were talking about and fixing systematic issues at the root level, not just putting a Band-Aid solution over the top of it. And yes, you know, reparations will fix things short term. But we have to stay focused. And the way we do reparations has to reflect the way that we are going to be fixing systemic issues from the root, from the ground up, you know, from the inside out, from the system up. So, yeah, reparations, a little bit of cash, some land, whatever is going to keep people healthy and happy. That's good. But at the same time, I think we need to make and I was also going to mention that it would be helpful 
to not use the R word around white people. You're going to scare the white people away with the R word. If y'all can focus on the solution itself, like, hey, let's restructure education to make it a little more fair. Hey, let's get some some clean food for the students, you know. Uh, now, now I, I'm not afraid of the R word, you know, but I'm just like, like, like Roger mentioned earlier, you have to put yourself in the mindset of people who aren't on our level. And so that was the only reason that I was kind of getting into the point where maybe instead of calling it reparation, call it the exact action that we want to take and just focus on those individual actions. And yeah, we can call it reparations in our own circles and stuff. But when we're having larger conversations with, say, the other side, it would be helpful to avoid that word. And I know I hate I hate to word police people. It's not what I'm doing at all. I would love for these people to be smart and wise enough to not be afraid of words like reparations. But that's just not where we're at. So, you know, I'm just trying to strategize, you know, is what I'm Brady, really trying to I, do. I have I really to I have to chime in here and, and say yeah. something for just a second. First of all, black yeah. people always have to. We Why do we always have to change our wording and change rhetoric to make white people comfortable? We are well, the minority. The I have to change my wording to make conservatives comfortable in the workplace. You know, there's certain things that I can't say on Facebook uh, and, and keep a job. You know what I we're, mean? We're not, we're not, um, we're not in the workplace, Brady. You see yeah, what I'm saying? I'm saying? We're not in the workplace. Well, you have to understand is that black people Brady. have always, you don't understand. We always have yeah. to code switch. We are always, yeah. most of the time, we are predominantly in white spaces and we have hold switch a lot you of times. Understand. And honestly, quite frankly, it's fucking exhausting. Yes, I'm with <laughs> you. And for you yeah, to come in and tell yeah. us that what words we should use, you sound like, you sound cop-like right now, man. You sound like word police to me. Yeah, that, I know that's what I sound like. And you know what? Say fuck it then. If you don't want to take my advice, like you don't have to take it. You know, um, I'm not. I'm certainly not going to word police. Anymore. You really um, don't need to come in and give a group of black people advice. This is the. This is a I'm big giving, problem. This is a big advice, problem. I'm not giving black people advice. This I'm not is giving a big, black people advice. I'm we're not black. Advice right we're now. not black. This is a big problem. Exactly. On the left, this is a big problem. We're so divided on the left by race. Is that we're, we're divided by race? No, the, the problem is Brady. That is being old. That the basically the narrative and the power structure has been has been predominated dominated by white men. That's the problem. That's you not a problem. Think you know a problem. everything. You white think that you have the answer. No. Like, you think um, that you know everything. You <laughs> think that you have the answer. And when black people come in and tell you how we feel. You try to tell us how we need to change to make you feel comfortable. How come you don't ever have to change to make us feel comfortable? Sabrina, can I jump in here and just moderate real quick? I know this is your show, so I I, I have to ask you. Go ahead, Case. um, First, Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, so basically, um, I love the conversation because we're this is the real world in the sense of people have different strategies people have different opinions so brady you um i also you know cringe at you saying that um your strategy that white people get um scared of the r word and i'm with um sabrina right so um we don't even have to keep going back and forth we just straight out reject that right so um we appreciate you strategizing with us and and giving us that side of the equation and um and you know, I, I definitely want to strategize. I don't want to discourage anybody else um, from strategizing and bringing up 
different opinions and we can discuss it. I think my, me personally, Case, I think as long as we're productive, we're having the conversation and even Schnorf bringing this up so that we can, um, Brady can come back on and we can clarify. I think this is all productive. Now, what what we can't have is we have, we keep regurgitating the same topic. Then we stop becoming productive and then it, that's one of the CIA tactics where you just keep bringing up the same topics and we don't move forward and, and organize more and strategize and build solidarity and continue if we keep regurgitating this um so-called strategy then um uh, then that's when it becomes uh, not productive so i would say i know sabrina already said how she feels about it and i also agree i think we should continue to use and be loud about it reparations because even if we say what it is that we want okay we want 60 trillion dollars to go to former african-american slaves like they're going to get triggered by that too <laughs> which is what reparations is so either way they're going to people are going to get triggered what we have to do is educate the masses and we need to call it something because that's how you get around something look at abolish the police they started doing abolish the fbi and that was from you know marjorie taylor green using our language that we started off with abolish the police and they started using it so um language is very effective um i hear your point again we're not going to do it. Yeah, it just it. I'm sorry, but again, it's it's been often times where I've gone into spaces, and there'll be you know people that, that, that they just come in and they try to let me tell you guys how you should do it, and it's just like no, we shouldn't have to change who we are. We shouldn't have to change our language. We have to already have to deal with enough of that in the workplace. This is not work. We are not at work right now. So I'm going to be who I am. And you can choose to accept or not accept that. But I'm not changing who I am so that you can feel comfortable. Fuck that shit. Roger, I, Roger you got to be last here. And then we got to head out. Okay. Yeah, I had to come back. Um... Brady, what are you doing, bruh? What, what are you doing? What I suggest is this. Read, I mean, first, you came off incredibly condescending telling Black people, this is what you need to do. You should listen. Okay, that's one. Two, um, I would suggest, like I said before, read Dr. Sandy Darity's uh, book, From Here to Equality. Three, um, what I see a lot of mistake that, um, a lot of whites do is they think of racism in the sense of interpersonal relations. Okay. What Sabrina was trying to say about power. Okay. Not having power is this. Most of the racism th that we face is not in your face racism. It's white, what I like to call white collar racism. So if let's say if I owned a home and I want to get it appraised, I got to go and get my white friend neighbors down the block to show off the house. I have to take all the pictures off the wall and have them put up all the pictures of their family on. And when it gets appraised, you'll see a difference in appraisal of eh, a minimum of $100,000. When that resume goes in front of, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, a white person looking at the resumes or whatever, they look at the zip code and they look at the name. They see something like Darnell, Shakita, Daquan. 
Rakita, whatever the case is, that's going in the garbage and you'll never know why you never got called back. Okay. Now, if it's something like you know, Chip, Brad, uh, Corey, maybe, I will, right, well, you know, take a look or whatever the case is. You also have to take a look at the way the, the way we finance our um, public education in this country. It's with the property tax. Okay, so that means you have to own a home and pay property taxes. Your property taxes go up depending on the value of your home. Okay, so if the black family and the white family have the same credit rating, same income, the black family is still going to either not get the mortgage or they'll get it at a higher interest rate. Same thing when it comes to buying a car, financing a car, we will get um, charged a higher interest rate. So then that affects, so let's say with the, with the, um, with the, with the home, for instance, so our, you know, our homes are not going to be valued at the same, at the same rate. So our property value is going to um, be lower. So that means we won't pay as much property taxes, which means our schools get underfunded, which puts us, which puts us behind. Okay. Also take a look at the uh, private prison industrial complex. We don't control any of these institutes. This is what, this is a conversation. Uh, um, I'm not going to mention the person's name. Sabrina know who I'm talking about. This is a conversation that I had with a famous YouTuber, okay, and why I stopped watching that person's show. Well, that wasn't the reason why I stopped watching that person's show. It was like something else because that person said, oh, I'm only going to read two comments from you and I don't care how much you pay or whatever the case is. Yeah, this person had the same issue. Good on 98% of the stuff she said, um, this person said, yeah, it was left. Once, once that person started talking about, about race, all they can see is, no, it has nothing to do with, with race. You know, I just don't believe that, that racism is institutionalized. There's remnants of it. person kept saying there's remnants of it. It's like, no, it's not remnants. Most of the racism that we face every day is not the police. It's not something like that's in your face or someone outside of a uh, 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 Walmart or whatever saying the N-word to you. It's the white-collar racism, okay, in everything. I mean, Sabrina, I think you was just talking about something to do with college admissions early on, on Revolutionary Blackout Network or whatever, you know what I'm saying? You was talking something about that as well. It's institutionalized. We don't have any power in this in, in, in the, any of these institutions. And the moment that you think that we got power, they make they let you know we don't. I could go back to um, the early 90s. No, sorry, the late 90s. Um, I remember, and I kind of learned my lesson from this. Um, I don't know what channels they were in your, in your neighborhood, in your neck of the woods, but we had UPN9 and WB started introducing all these black programs, uh, the Wayans brothers and I don't know, Ricky Smiley, something like that. It was, it was like a whole bunch of black programs that came on in the late nineties on, on this station called UPN and, and WB, whatever, right? And then overnight they said, okay, thanks for uh, building us up. 
you know, like, because we was looking at it like, oh, wow, they're finally recognizing us. But since we didn't own these institutions, they said, okay, thanks for building us up. Everyone fired. They revamped the whole thing. What they do, they bought up Dawson's Creek, Gossip Girls, Charmed, Smallville, just completely just bow across the board. Okay, so, yeah, the, the, again, it's not, this, the racism is not about, you know, some interpersonal relationship that you have with someone and whether how they feel about black people. It's the ability to use your power to make sure that we don't get ahead. And the, and the, since the simple fact that what I talked about home ownership was the last way anyone in America can build wealth, they took that away from us also. And now everyone else is suffering it as, you know, private equity is owning, is, is taking over ownership of homes and that different type of stuff. So, no. And I want to jump in here for a second, too, because I see that Brady put in the comments, see Candace Owens. Candace Owens sued the Connecticut School Board for racial discrimination when she was in high school, and she won. And the N, the N, <clears throat> NCAAP backed her on that case. Now, that's something that Candace Owens don't really talk about, but you can look this up for yourself. And again, to point to Candace Owens, that's not a system. That is one person. I just said, Brady, I just said a system, okay, how it's institutionalized, okay? Like, like saying when it's, where, where it's made where, you know, like one Black person made it through. <laughs> That's not like really progress, especially when they adopt the same mindset to make sure, yeah, you could come through, but make sure you close that door on your way in. We don't want more of them coming in here. Right, and you can't bring your culture into it either. Exactly. And also you know I mean? Derek Chauvin going to jail, that, that really happens. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, I wish it was a systemic thing where when cops kill black people, unarmed black people, they would we it would just be a, a foregone conclusion like, oh, they definitely going to jail. No, we have to protest. We have to do a whole bunch of stuff just for cops to get, just for us to get justice in this country. Can I interject? Yeah. Can I just say something really quickly? Thank yes. you. So uh, I think I think one of the interesting things that that like I've been kind of stumbling on is the relationship between the radical left in the 1970s as a whole. Right. So you had the Weather Underground, which is predominantly uh, a lot of white middle class college dropouts. And then you have the BLA, the Black Liberation Army, right? And one of the things that's interesting that they bring up is that they didn't have this this way, this kind of term of allyship, right? Which you see allyship even being used by corporate America. What they had is camaraderie, which means that if you attack one, you attack the other, right? We all came, we're all going down together. And and that doesn't exist in the modern left because what you have is more of a of a performative action. I know that's what Brady was accusing me of, right? But ultimately what I think it is is that we have no way of of, of policing ourselves. And I and I mean that with with the word policing, meaning that we actually have a way of saying, hey, this person they're, they're talking, but what they're saying doesn't amount to the same material goal that all of us are looking to get to. You know what I'm saying? And my, my only reason for bringing this up is because I feel like we let a lot of shit slide and we have to stop letting people get by and we have to chin check the people that, that are 
sending out the wrong things that are coming in very in micro doses before they actually have a chance of co-opting the narrative and taking it from us and even co-opting the rage or or, or the the outrage or or the frustration that exists within people who are actually marginalized right like who the hell are you to tell me how to feel fuck out of here thank you very much guys yeah. I think so, we need to be careful with microaggressions and that's just that's just a big part of it. And I see you said in the comments, cool, honestly, I'm tired of who don't want to help themselves. That's just it, Brady. Nobody asked you for help. You trying to come like some type of white savior. Ain't nobody asking you for no help. This is the problem. I'm out. Roger, you done. Case, thanks so much for joining. I'm, yeah, I'm heading out. No, much uh, love to, yeah, Rogers, much love to you. Much love to Snarf, Brady. Much love to Sabrina. Everybody, uh, great discussion as usual. Um, and I hope, as long as we stay productive, and uh, Brady, I hope you learned something tonight. And um, everyone, have a good night. Cool. Okay. Everyone, please have a good weekend. Bye. Bye.